so I just want to walk through that journey and uh, and to, to see what comes and p- pick a few spots and dissect what exactly went on in your journey and what you found to be useful. And hopefully that can be useful for me and for many other people who are struggling with it. So I'm excited Absolutely. to hear your story. Yeah, for sure. No, it's something I'm really passionate about. Uh, if you ask any of my friends, they will quite quickly tell you that I get on this topic quick, especially um, as it relates to really any sudden health issues that appear with people that don't seem to have a cause or can't be traced to anything immediate through um, any sort of diagnostic tools, right? Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. Do you want me to start with just what happened to me? Yeah. Well, do you want to give yourself a brief introduction first of what you do, who you sure. are? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm Joel Koretko. I work in uh, biblical scholarship. So I'm let me mute my phone so that doesn't get in the way. Uh, I work in biblical scholarship. Specifically, uh, I publish uh, with respect to the book of Exodus. So that's where kind of my forte lies, especially in its Greek version. And so I just finished a PhD at Oxford. Just got my doctorate there, uh, I don't know, like four or five months ago. And now I, yeah, I'm working on a bunch of different publications. I work part-time out of uh, Trinity Western here in Canada and BC and part-time also out of a seminary called Axe Seminary. And that takes up most of my time. Do a bit of con- I've been phasing out of construction, which I've worked for a little while as I finished my PhD. And then, yeah, um, that's just kind of the path forward now is, is working in, in this academic field and helping out at the university and teaching classes and building curriculum and all that kind of stuff. That's my current role and current trajectory in, in life. Yeah. Other than that, father of three kids, got an awesome wife here in Chilliwack, BC. It's kind of how we've connected Rav through uh, mutual friends and just hearing about each other and whatnot and the whole chronic pain thing. But I could, I could get a bit Great. into yeah, I could Great. get a bit into the actual uh, story of, of what happened. If yeah, you want. yeah, let's do that. Yeah, so we have uh, just under an hour. Yeah, you know what? My, my my time frame opened up, so it's it's up to you now for for time here. Yeah, I have to go around seven fifteen, anyways. Okay, and 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 I think we'll do future episodes talking about theology because there's a few big questions I have I'm, that I'm looking at right now. Yeah, in various ways, and we talked a little bit about that before. And uh, just a few uh, theological translation things that I'm looking at right now um, that uh, Alan Watts, one of the greatest uh, Eastern and former uh, Christian communicators and philosophers, um, made uh, a a few interesting radical claims he made about the Bible using arguments about certain mistranslations from Greek and Latin. So I think uh, we'll, we'll, we'll table that for next time. Yeah, for sure. I'd I'd love to chat about it, and yeah, I'm sure we could have a a pretty interesting talk on that. Yeah. So yeah, let's let's start with your story. Sure. Yeah. About this is probably going on eight and a half, nine years ago, which would put me around I don't know twenty three ish. I was working uh, for Pepsi at the time as a sales rep. And normal life was getting, uh, I had just gotten married, married for about six months at that point. And 
uh, working a very, it's a physical job. So, you know, a lot of slinging pop cases and stuff like that. So it is lower back intensive and back intensive and stuff like that. And one day I'm at the end of the day and I'm slugging pop cases and my, my, my back just starts to hurt. Like not, not terribly bad, but pretty bad. And so I, you know, do what you do. You go home and say, it'll be better by the morning. And so I get up the next day and it's still hurting. So I call in and say, you know, my back's really hurting. I can't come in. And I think I got some flack for that or whatever. And they, they said, okay. So then continue on next week. And throughout the week, my back was still hurting. And so uh, I think I went to a doctor probably that week or the next week. I might've done one more shift and, or series of, yeah, of, uh, of shifts four days on uh, kind of thing. Went to the doctor, you know, doctor says, oh, your back's, you know, pulled or something like that. Here's some stretches you can do. Here's some interesting stuff you can do. And if it doesn't get better, I will put you on with a physio or something like that. And so I did all the stretches, did all the stuff, tried to take it easy, still was working. And uh, yeah, it just, it just kept hurting. And so it's like, okay, well, I guess I just need to start seeing what the medical system has for me here and how I can heal myself and how I can make this better. And I kept up for about three months and it just wouldn't go away. And it was kind of getting worse. And it was, and we're not talking about, you know, your, your back hurts a little bit, like every few hours or when you twist it weird, it was just always hurting. Now it would hurt more if I sat for long periods of time, but it just always hurt. And so it was, it was really challenging at that point. And I really wanted to make it go away. And so I uh, got, I got to Christmas time, which is the most busy time for someone who works in that industry. And it was just very long, hard, hard days. And at one point I, it was just the middle of the, the stress week around Christmas, just before go, go, go. And the pain just suddenly got so bad that I, uh, I was just, I was screaming in my car and, uh, called in and said, I can't do it. I can't work. My back's been hurting. I, I at that point, they uh, I don't remember how, how much I told them, but they I said I can't just I can't work. I can't do this. Um, I hurt my back too badly. And so from there, the uh, I went off work and started really having to probe into what's going on, and saw basically every specialist you can imagine. So from physio, every physio, not every physio, that's hyperbole, but. Uh, probably saw five to eight physiotherapists somewhere around there in the lower mainland area from Chilliwack to Vancouver. Uh, and they gave me different exercises, different stuff. Nothing worked. Back still really hurt. And again, all the time, it never went away. Just constantly hurting. When I wake up in the night, it hurts. When I get up in the morning, it hurts. When I'm doing anything, it just hurts. And so it's driving me insane at this point because we're going on five months, six months of it. And Okay, then the the question is what what's next? If, if there must be something mechanically wrong with my back, there's got to be some sort of something slipped, or there's when we do a scan, we're gonna find the 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 thing that will that will finally give us the reason for this back pain. And so we start going to MRIs and CT scans, blood work, everything. What is going on with this pain? And I see doctor after doctor, and I start seeing surgeons. And I, I finally meet a surgeon and they look at an MRI and they say, okay, it looks like you have spondylolisthesis in your spine. So it's just like a, like a separation or whatever. My lower 
kind of sacrum area, lower back. And they said, that's, that's gotta be what's causing your back pain. And I said, you know, I'll do anything to get out of pain at this point. I got, uh, at that point, um, my wife was pregnant with our first child and just about to have this child. And so I, I said, I need, I'm going to have a kid. I need something. It's got to, got to get fixed. And so please put me in surgery. And they did. And so they put a titanium cage in the lower part of my spine to fix the spondylolisthesis. And I said, you know, this is great. Finally, I'm going to get better. The pain's going to go away. I can get back, go back to a normal life. And surgery's done. They asked, how do you feel? I said, you know, it still kind of hurts. Still kind of feels the same. And they said, but you know what? Just give it time and we'll see how it goes. And then, uh, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a little bit of time to heal. And so a month goes by, a month and a half, two months, and uh, I'm healed. The surgery's better. Our surgery's uh, healed all the the muscles and stuff have all healed up, but I've still got the same back pain. And at this point, like, this point you start to go mad. You, you lose your, your head a bit. This is probably a year, maybe longer into, into chronic pain every moment of my life. And uh, yeah, you, once you've had a giant operation like that and everyone's hoping in it and it just utterly fails, uh, you, you don't really know what to do. And I, honestly, it was a depressing, a, a, a dark and depressing time for me. I, I, yeah, that was my first, I think, real true bout with what 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 a truly depressed look, life looks like, a truly dark place in life looks like. Um, and I've I've had a pretty crazy past, but th- this was the darkest I've ever felt in my in my life because it's uh, it's it's hope gone, and it's like this is what you resign yourself to. You resign. You're being resigned to pain for the rest of your life, and so you go to the doctors and you go to the surgeon. And you say, "What went wrong? What happened? And what's the?" What, what what was what did we do wrong here? And they they all start to say one by one, you know, this is just what you have to live with now. This is just your life. There's no cure for chronic pain. You're just one of these odd cases that we can't figure out, you know. And uh, you're gonna have to just figure out how to live with this thing. And so I kept seeing different people. I, I went to naturopaths. I went to chiropractors, to acupuncture, to um, everything you could imagine. Uh, everything on the list, I tried it and nothing worked and the pain continued on and it got worse. Actually, I'd say it was worse after the surgery. And uh, yeah, I began to have just a life of chronic pain. And so it, 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 that was, that went on for, for years really. So it, mu- it must've been. I totally feel you by the way with yeah, like, especially like jumping from physio clinic to physio clinic seeing different doctors, specialists, different fields of medicine. I've, uh, I've, I've, been, I've been through it, and I'm, and I'm still going through it right now. And uh, thankfully, in terms of some of the, the digestive stuff, I've found a lot of usefulness in Ayurveda, natural Indian medicine. Mm-hmm. But there still seems to be a deeper psychological component that I have to work on. So I'm in the process of doing that right now. But anyway, continue on with your story. Yeah. And no, I, 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 like you said, I, I feel you too here in that it's a process and that you're acknowledging that there's something deeper, I think is, is really important. And we, we chatted a bit about, about what, what's going on with you, but yeah, I'll, I'll continue. And you're kind of leading people in to the, to the answer here, uh, which is not what's expected, especially given what the medical system told me. Right. And so now we're going to get controversial because this doesn't fit within the Western paradigm for medicine. Um, what, what happens kind of from here on out. So I'm in the, the throes 
of chronic pain. And you said uh, years, by the way? You said years, been- yeah. So uh, it, it is, I had it for seven years. Wow. Yeah, straight. Of, That's a very long of time. Of intense chronic pain. Yeah, it was horrible. Uh, I, when I say it was a living hell, I, that, that, I mean that, and I, and I, I come from a Christian background, so it has extra weight, right? Uh, it was a, it was a living hell. It was the worst thing. I, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Uh, it was, it was a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, and so that yeah, kept yeah. me for years. And, 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 I, and, I, and, I, and I don't know if I, I don't know if I have it as worse as, as you did, but it's definitely, hell does not seem like an exaggeration for certain moments I've been yeah and, and and more so uh i wouldn't say hell just a prolonged sort of demon that's just stuck in my body it just feels like it's not always excruciating in the way it, it might have been for you but it's always just like an alarm clock just constantly going off yeah particularly in my chest there's just an alarm just always ringing there and it's yeah, not it, clear what to, what to, what to, it's not clear what to do about it if you uh, distract from it and try to do other things that can be kind of liberating sometimes, but you know, like doing social things, watching a good TV show, you know, continuing work and writing. Then as soon as there's nothing to occupy the mind, as soon as it's time to sit down, then suddenly you're just assaulted again with that horrible pain. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what makes meditation difficult these days for me. But that that's all, that's all the reason why I'm, further pursuing this and trying to not just distract myself with other things and actually just um, strip everything away and just sit down and just do all sorts of different varying meditative techniques from breath work to more of a yogic approach to the, the um, somatic tracking, which I'm sure you'll, you'll, you'll talk about in some depth. So uh, yeah, continue on. Yeah. So we're because it just becomes year after year at this point and, in pain, uh, pretty much had given up on any anything in the medical system helping me, and I I kept working on my my career. So I finished a master's, and then uh, to my surprise, although I'm a very hard worker, I got accepted into Oxford into the, doc- the doctoral program there. And so my wife and I chatted it over, and we decided that we'd go and uh, there was some good funding opportunities for me at that point that looked really promising. And so we were going to go because it looked like I would have funding and I did actually end up get, getting funding for, for the whole thing, which is, which is really awesome. And so and went to Oxford, moved out like to even, England. Like even living expenses, by the way? Uh, well, this, the scholarship I got is it's called the Shirk and anyone who's in the humanities in Canada who works in higher kind of um, education and, ac- and academics knows that the shirk is the humanities one that you want. Cause it, it's uh, essentially supposed to pay for everything. Uh, your, your living and your tuition. The only problem is the dollar was so weak in England that it only covered my tuition because of the weakness of the dollar out that way. And mm. so, uh, yeah, essentially it was a full ride, but it ended up just paying for tuition, which is insanely expensive at Oxford. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, so I I didn't I have no debt uh, going in like we were able to manage, um, but it was it was very expensive. Uh, if I, if, we, if I wouldn't have had that full ride, I would have had to have come home. So yeah, but you yeah. you paid to live there. Uh, yeah, we paid to live there. We had a little bit of help from my family, and then we I had more money from the scholarship at the end that I just kind of paid. I told people I'd pay them back. Like my mom helped out with some living costs and stuff like that, 
And so I just, we ended up just paying back uh, anything that we borrowed and uh, yeah, we're, we're totally in the clear. Nice. Yeah, no, I'm really happy with that. And so I'm in Oxford and the chronic pain is even worse. It's just horrible. And I'm in the deepest kind of darkest place. You're just kind of holding on to survive at this point. And just I'm researching. And like you said, distraction, distraction. If I'm get into the library and I start researching a topic or an idea I have, I can spend six, seven, eight hours or whatever. And I'll still have pain. But a lot of the time it's, it's not really at the forefront or it's kind of gone because of the distraction. And so I kept going and I was there for just about two years. And then COVID happened and I came home and uh, they said, you can kind of go home and finish from home because it's been, I'd done my residency there. And I got a phone call from a doctor, doctor's office saying, Hey, you've got an appointment if you want it. And I said, who's, who's this with? And they said, you booked this appointment uh, two and a half years ago. He's just got an opening now. And I said, that's crazy. Okay. Who is it? And they said, he's a, he's a hypnotherapist. And among other things, and I said, you know, I never tried it. I will literally try anything. I'm happy to do it. Sure. Why not? So I go on a video call with this guy because it's the start of COVID. And he doesn't actually do hypnotherapy. He just says, hey, can you uh, read a book for me? Can you just research a couple of these these doctors for me? And I just want you to read the book. Uh, he He kind of talked to me through my life, how I deal with life a little bit, and then said, okay, just read the book. And I said, that's in my head, I said, that's dumb, but okay. And he just said, read the book. And so I start reading this book and it's about the idea that pain can be caused by your brain. And that this guy who in the seventies and eighties started a practice guy named John Sarno. And he recognized that people with chronic pain that were coming to him were not being healed by any of the methods that they were offering the physiological model of manipulating the body so that the pain goes away. And so he said, well, why don't we, why don't we check if it's, what if this is being caused by something else than physiological stuff, even though it's manifesting in physiological pain, um, very specific areas, backs, knees, shoulders, whatever, chest, head, eye, all that kind of stuff. And so I start to read up on it and whatnot. And then, uh, I, I put it down and I, I say, okay, well, interesting. I was actually reading my kids. Uh, so we're, I'm a Christian. I was reading my kids, uh, just some storybook Bible stuff. And uh, there was just this story about Jesus, you know, telling somebody to go to a place, like wash your eyes and you'll be healed. Go do this thing. You'll be healed, whatever. And w- whatever you think of Christianity uh, or, and, and God speaking to people or whatever, I, uh, whatever, we can talk about that another time. Uh, that's not really the point here. The point is I had this kind of inclination, like go down to the river and start thinking about this kind of mental stuff, start thinking about like past stuff. Cause they were mentioning at the beginning of this book, deal with your past, talk about your past. And so I went down to the river and I just sat on a bench and I started thinking about my life I started thinking about kind of the, the traumatic experiences that I've had. Um, my, my parents divorcing when I was five and that uh, the sore spot from that. And it was, and then suddenly like the middle of my back freezes. It freezes up and like I'm, I have to sit up straight. Like I got like a brace on or something like that. And I said, that's really weird. Okay. Uh, I guess I pulled my back sitting here. Like this isn't my normal back pain. This is totally different. Uh, but my back got pulled sitting here on a bench leisurely at the river. 
And so I said, that's really weird. I guess I'll go home. So I went home with the with this new pulled back. And the very next morning, I wake up to read this book on the subject. And what it says is the next page. So I didn't read this the night before. The next page says, one of the uh, hallmark traits of psychosomatic pain that I'm just, the psychosomatic pain that I'm describing is your symptoms will change as you work on this process. And as you go through this, you'll find pain and things happening in your body that aren't your, the injury you've been associated with. And this happens to a lot of people. This, this guy Sarno was claiming. And I said, wait a second, like what the hell just happened last night? My symptoms switched when I started working on this thing. I've never had that before. I've never had that pain before. There's nothing happened that should cause my back to sprain like that. But suddenly I had this thing when I started even thinking about my past. And so it just started me. That was kind of the, the, I was really skeptical, but then the door cracked open a bit. And that experience, I just kicked the door open at that point and went, no way. Is this, could this actually be true that my brain and trauma and my past and the, what they're saying in this book, Sarno was saying, is the way that you're dealing and coping with life and the trauma of your past affecting your current life. Even though you, you might have said you've dealt with it, you've forgiven people, you've moved on, all that. Could that actually be affecting me right now, even though I have no idea? And could my brain be actually be the one putting me in the prison that I'm in of this pain? Am I actually self-causing my pain? And that's a really scary thing to say to someone in chronic pain and a really offensive thing to say to someone in chronic pain because you're then putting the onus back on them. And when you do that, uh, you, you're, the, you're, um, you get bristles, uh, you, 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 get, you, you stand up for a fight, right? Because it, you can't tell somebody in chronic pain that they're causing their own pain. And uh, then people will say, oh, it's in your head. Uh, it's being, you, 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 the pain's all in your head. It's not real. Like the, and that's not what I'm saying. The pain was totally real. Scan my brain. There was there was pain going on. But when you talk to someone in chronic pain like this, uh, it's really hard to come to terms with that you could be creating it. And so what I came to discover was that my brain was actually creating the pain, uh, not in the sense of, you know, like there's a physiological problem with my knee. I, my knee got shattered and my brain is creating a signal of pain. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about there's literally nothing wrong with my back. But at, I was feeling back pain for years based on this psychosomatic syndrome. So Sarno in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and he died, I think, in 2018 or 2017, uh, he he called it TMS, tension myositis syndrome, and then he changed it, and it kind of got updated to the mind-body syndrome based on just improper diagnosis. Or his terminology wasn't correct at first. He was taking shots in the dark, uh, and he, he wasn't quite getting at it, so it just became the mind-body syndrome, TMS. And I read all of his books basically. And then there's another guy who was also, so he had chronic pain for 30 years. Uh, he went blind in one eye. He could barely move. Uh, it was just horrible, horrible pain. And he, and he found Sarno and he wrote some books on it cause he totally healed himself. Everything is, he's totally fine. Now he still speaks today. His name's Steve Oz- Ozanich. Uh, 30 years. Sorry, ago, what, sorry. What's the name? Steve Ozanich. I think it's, uh, o Z A N I C H. Okay. The thing about Ozanich is his books are, I, I mean, it just depends who you are. He gets a little bit into kind of like new age spirituality and a lot of like Jungian stuff of like the shadow self and the ego and like the subconscious repressed part of your, of you that you're not, that you're not even aware of the stuff that's going on under the hood. Um, that is 
affecting you and has thoughts and has feelings and has like uh, desires. Some would call it maybe um, like your inner child or something like that. You might even just call it like your kind of this primal nervous system um, part of you, like however you want to envision it, it's going on and you're not aware of it, but it's there. And yeah, for, for me, it's been framed as an inner child issue. Yeah. With my which is psychotherapist, which, which makes sense in many ways. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you could think of an inner child, a, a less like developed part of like way your brain functioned at some point in time. How like Sarno gets into some evolutionary stuff, which is super interesting. Uh, yeah. And so however you want to frame it, uh, this guy was Anich and Sarno. Uh, they, they were writing on it and saying they've had countless scores of people who are being healed of the, not, 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 not mitigating chronic pain. You go anywhere. Uh, any field of medicine currently uh, in the West and say, do you cure chronic pain? And they will say to you, no, we mitigate symptoms. And so no one cures chronic pain, but then you've got this guy and his, his, the, his uh, patients who are being cured, like no more chronic pain. And so then the question is uh, what's going on there. And he was laughed at and he was, he was laughed at. And what the, the really, uh, awesome thing in, in recent years and I'll circle back to myself in a second here for, for what happened to me. But uh, the really awesome thing is that in recent years, his students, Sarno students, one of them being Howard Schubiner uh, and then people that Schubiner has mentored his, uh, his students and, and others, another guy, David Schechter in California, I believe. By the way, how, how, Howard Schubiner is coming on the podcast. I think July 12th, July is 13th. Awesome. I'm so glad to hear it, man. I, I want to hop. I'll come and listen. I want to hop on and say thank you to the guy because uh, his book sure, yeah. was the one that I did uh, kind of the most work in. His book, "Unlearn Your Pain" or not "Unlearn Your Pain." Um, oh, now I'm I'm gonna get embarrassed by not remembering the remembering the title. Uh, his is uh, no, it is "Unlearn Your Pain." Yeah, I was thinking uh, "Think Away Your Pain." That's Schechter. "Unlearn Your Pain" by by Howard Schubiner. Mm. Uh, that book, I worked through the exercises. I read that book, and that was kind of the the turning point in my journey to get out of chronic pain. Cause it wasn't read that one. I haven't read that one yet. I've yeah. A lot Alan of it is Gordon's. I've read Alan Gordon's the way out and I've read John Sarno. Okay. Which Sarno book did you read? Um, the, I think the, the most uh, widely read one on chronic pain, it wasn't specifically the one on back pain. Okay. Yeah. It yeah. Was, it's, uh, it's all good. He says kind of the same thing. Yeah. I think it was called the mind body. Yeah. The mind body. Mind by prescription, yeah, that's one. Of yeah, them. yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Anyways, you, you would recommend the, the Schubiner book? Yes, yeah, Unlearn Your Pain by Howard Schubiner. Uh, okay. And so, yeah, H- Howard and all these people are now uh, pushing this in into the system. And the book you just mentioned, The Way Out, that's the first. The, the book is uh, focused around the first study, clinical study, um, peer reviewed study that actually cured chronic pain in 70% of its uh, of the people who were in the, in the, the clinical study, which has never happened before. That's, that's the first in documented medical history, as far as I'm aware. And they're using the methodology that that's cured me. And then that cured this Lozanish guy and goes all the way back to Sarno who had this um, intuition that something was not right in the way we study pain. And so, 
go, coming around now back to myself. So I'm starting to read these books. I go through all of Sarno's stuff, all of Ozanich's also, stuff. Also, by the way, just wanted to think, too, I'm just looking at the Howard Schubiner book, and I remember wanting to read it on Learn Your Pain, but it's it's not available on Amazon. Like if, yeah, you, if you order it, it'll be like another month or two before getting it. It's hard to find, apparently. It's not hard to find. Howard himself sends the books out. So I ordered it from him. I don't know why he doesn't have it on Amazon. I think there's a Kindle version of part of it. Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't know why. And it meant he's got to fix that because it's such a good book. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, he has to like a month away. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'll just I'll email it maybe and ask him. Yeah. On his, his website, you can, you can get the book there. Okay. Yeah. When he comes on, I would love to, I mean, I don't want to re- uh, jump in and, or whatever, no, no, but, no, 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 you know, you're welcome. Oh yeah. And cause I, I'm one of the people that he's, he didn't, as he doesn't realize, but he, yeah, he was basically the cure for me. Uh, cause he was the one that I really turned around. That's when it really started to get, to get better. So what I did, I started looking through these books, working through these books, my symptoms started to change. Like they said, uh, all these guys say the people who go through this and once they start working on it, you, most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time your symptoms just start changing. So my back pain, it went away. It was gone. But then I started to get knee pain. I started to get calf pain, foot pain, elbow pain, arm pain, shoulder pain, head pain, neck pain, everywhere. It was like, a, like you said, a demon earlier on. It was like a demon. It's like this demon being exercised from your body and just moving around and saying, like, I'm going to go here. I'm going to do this. I've had a, a cough. I've had uh, just recently this kind of – it was like a flare-up. I, really, I, I don't really know what it was caused by, but my face would go red. Uh, like beet mm. red and I'd get like hot in the face. It's gone now. It was there for like two weeks. It was all the same idea. Um, it was happening when I was getting in nervous situations um, or stressful situations. My face would just go completely red. And it was just, again, this psychosomatic response. But, uh, and by the way, all this pain you were having, you said elbow pain, neck pain, knee pain. What, was it really that bad or was it just like aches, aches and pains or was it very chronic? And uh, I would say it's just, it was still chronic in that it was, I still always had pain, but it was just changing where it would be. Like neck pain or like shoulder pain. Yeah. Like, like, it was just, like, like, like was it, was it somewhat excruciating or close to excruciating in the way the back pain was, or was it much I would less say pronounced? it was probably about 50% of what the back pain was. Okay. Which is still yeah, a lot. So I mean, considering it was still a decent amount, but it was yeah. it clearly getting better. Right. Right. Yeah, and I, there was there was definitely a relief or and a release that happened in the first kind of eight months of working on this, and so this didn't happen overnight. Um, it took me. I think my back pain went away six or seven months in, and then top probably took almost a year after that, maybe a little less, to really start having times when I don't have pain. And the pain would just go away. Mm-hmm. And now I would say I, I live, I, I consider myself living pain free, even though I'll have like little flare ups here and there. Like I don't have any negativity towards pain. Uh, there's, mm-hmm. uh, I don't have any sort of, there's no, it doesn't have any sort of hold or bother me. If I have like something, like I said, my face flushing, I'll be like, oh, well, that's TMS. I call it TMS, like whatever they call it now. They, there's different terms for it. Uh, okay, interesting. I must be kind of stressed out right now. Or like I'll, uh, when I went to defend my dissertation the day before, I had a flare-up pretty bad um, just because I was – this part of my brain um, was just super stressed. Uh, I mean, you're defending your dissertation at Oxford. It's a bit stressful, I guess, and I didn't really realize how much it 
it was affecting me. Um, so I do have like these flare ups and that's fine. I, I don't worry about it. You don't need to worry about it kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, it's good to know that, uh, it took you like, like when did you see pain reductions first? Like you said, six or seven months. Uh, the back pain, my back pain that I'd had for seven years disappeared after six or seven months. And then it be, started becoming different pain uh, and it was about 50% of what it was. Right. Okay. And yeah. So, okay. So within the first like four or five months, uh, the pain was still there. Yeah. Honestly, I had to take it by faith that this was going to yeah. work. Cause it was like yeah. some days it's like, damn man, why am I not like I, other stories of people they are better in two months. They're better in three months. Why is this taking me so long? Um, is there something wrong with me? Am I wrong in this diagnosis? Um, I think at that point I'd have pain starting to shift a bit. It was, it was still in my back mostly, but I realized like because of that first incident, I went, I, I keep seeing it happening. I know this is being caused by this, this underlying thing that these doctors are describing, but it's just frustrating that I, I, I couldn't fix it right away. And it took time. And I'm going to be honest, this whole thing is it, this isn't just like a, a bandaid. You have to change the way you, you engage yeah. with life. So that's right. the, the big thing is that um, it's not just like, oh, I can think about my pain and it's going to go away. Like maybe you're the lucky 1% because that does happen to some people who have had pain for a long time and suddenly it's gone. Um, yeah. Why that happens, Sarno, he gets into discussions on what's causing that. Perhaps it's the unconscious, the subconscious, the shadow self, the, this whole um, what's the term? Not ego, but the is it super ego? Like the I can't remember the, the exact Freudian uh, term. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know Freud as much as other people do. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Anyways, so the, the, this part of your brain, this part of you that you're not really even conscious of, that's kind of like primitive or whatever, uh, it realizes that oh, I've been found out, and the pain just disappears. Some people, their pain, as soon as they even hear the concept that it's ca- it could be caused by uh, unconscious parts of your brain, their pain disappears. It's like, oh, I've been found out, and it's gone. Like, So Sarno documents that, and it's crazy. Like, it, It's a mm. totally cra- crazy phenomenon. That didn't happen with me. I wish it did. Yeah. But this is probably the hardest. So I'm going to tell you now the hardest thing in all of all of this chronic pain talk. Yeah, and but, all before, my, you my body on, before you go on, though, like, I, yeah. It it is good to know that it took you that long because it's it's been, I think two months for me, um, re- really, but but really like a month, I would say since I've somewhat accepted or pretty much accepted <laughs> that uh, that I have the mind body syndrome. Yeah, um, m- maybe it's even been a few weeks since I've like, let let's say eighty five percent accepted it. There's still a fifteen percent that's like, oh, maybe maybe. Like I'm going to see another specialist soon. Another, uh, I'm going to see a cardiologist soon um, for my chest pain. And there's like a little part of me that's like, yeah, maybe he'll find some underlying yeah. issue that hasn't been detected in other tests. Possibly, like that's still part of my thinking. But I, but from what I can say, like if I had to put my money somewhere, I think it would be on the mind-body syndrome. And it's been a month, and. Uh, I would say it's it's been progressively getting worse for me since uh, grade nine, actually, yeah. probably tw- 2015, when I first started getting chest pains just every now and then. And then it, it after graduating high school, then it got worse. And then last year, it got really worse. And then earlier this year, it got really bad. So it's been getting worse and worse. And, and, and one way that my counselor is making me frame this as is like, 
there's a messenger in my body and I haven't been taking that message because I've been so distracted with school, with work, with writing, with podcasts and whatnot. And he said, once you take the message from the messenger, then it can leave. But until you take that message, it'll keep disturbing you and bothering you. It'll still be trapped in your body. It's a visitor at your house that's constantly ringing the doorbell and you have to open it. And it's not Mm -hmm. just a one-time thing, but it's continually receiving that message and rewiring your brain. And then once you've fully received that message and uh, done the process of inner transformation, then then it can go away. This is a good segue into what I was going to say. Sure. The most controversial, the most bewildering, the most um, unbelievable aspect of the TMS process that Sarno particularly focused on, and so does Ozanich. And I, I don't, Howard doesn't talk about it as much. But uh, what you're getting at here, saying that it's a message, and once the message is received, it will go away, it's almost not true. And for this reason, I don't know why, but the, for some people, myself in, included, the chronic pain, it's, it's basically trying to trick you. You're, it's like your body is constantly trying to trick you into the fact, into this, into believing that you're injured. And so is that a, is it a coping mes- mechanism? Is it an unconscious coping mechanism? Why is, and so Sarno gets into this, these guys get into it. Why does your body, why is my body trying to convince me I'm injured? So I, I, I work out at the gym now, I'll bench press or something, and I'll just have the thought, hey, you know what? And this is not so much now, but it was in the past. Man, I kind of pushed hard today. I wonder if my elbows might hurt from that. An hour later, later, my elbows start hurting. And it's like... Man, I miss bench pressing, by the way. I miss bench pressing. Ever since the chest pain has come, I've not been able to do upper body stuff. We'll get you back in there, man. It's going to happen. Lower body. I I know it'll happen, and it's a vision of mine, but I just can't wait to get back into it. You know, I've, I've also gained some weight recently because of all this chest pain that's made cardio a little pain, uh, extra painful. And it's just, it, it really sucks, especially when people around you are just like, Hey, you know, you're gaining some weight, like my parents and siblings and stuff. And it's like me being a super skinny guy who's, who's always made fun of for being super bony and gaunt looking, <laughs> um, just, just the way I'm built and to suddenly just be in a place because where due to all the pain, I'm not able to, do all the things I want to, uh, including like playing soccer and basketball, which is my, my, my knee injury forced me out of it in grade 10 first. It was the knee issue. Yeah. Um, cr- chronic knee pain that, uh, just, just never went away. And I went from physio to physio and they said, yeah, it's patellar tendonitis. Yeah. You have an uh, MCL sprain and yeah, we can do stuff with your hips and your glutes and your quads. We can do this, this and that. And you know, all, all that's fine, but it never, it never went away. Yeah. So which, uh, and, then, that, and, that was, and, and that was one, and and also, I mean, I, I want to hear from your, sorry, I want to hear your story as well. But I also want to weave in parts of my own story as well and get your Absolutely. your thoughts on it. Like for me, it was the the knee stuff, um, which is still here till this day, which caused a lot of depression, and yeah, just just a lot of depression in high school. Like I remember when it happened in grade ten. Like I I, I finally started getting good at soccer because I was just training super super hard every day. And right then the knee issue came and I couldn't play on the high school team. I couldn't play 
for my club team, which was starting to get really good. And just, I was so depressed for those first few months and then continuing after that. And I also wanted to play on the high school basketball team. And I was just in the stands, just like supporting my team and just not being able to play. And it was just, it felt like something was taken from me. Like in some ways, something that was even bigger than like a, a romantic partner or a, or a best friend. It was just something that I would go to that's always constant, you know? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's, you know, whereas a friend, like whereas another person may treat you differently at different times, this was more consistent in that I would, I would go there and I would get something and I would always get that, you know, regardless of win or lose or how well I play. But it was a certain reality that I had that was just taken away from me. And so that caused a lot of depression. And then the, the chest pain started getting, and then independent of that, that just went on throughout high school. And then when I graduated um, high school, uh, the chest pain at some point, several months later, it came. And I know that there's also, in some of these books, they make the point of, of life transitions could potentially yep. affect it. And, and, and I am not going to make any claims about that yet because I don't know if that's the case for me. But the, the, it's interesting. The knee injury was the first month of high school at a new school, yep. September of 2016, um, when that happened. And then the chest pain, it, it didn't get bad right after graduating high school in June of 2019. But I would say it was August when it started getting really bad. And then kind of went away for a bit. And then um, it was just lingering there. And I just ignored it because that's what you do, right? You just yep. <laughs> try to distract yourself. you just like, yeah, whatever. You know, life is painful. And, you know, that's kind of what my parents said too. Like, you know what, Rav, life is about pain. Life is suffering. Just deal with it. It's like, okay, cool. <laughs> right. All right I'll, I'll, I'll go write and do podcasts and just let the pain sit where it may. And, y- you know, there's also this idea that if you immerse yourself in a lot of work and do other things and not think about the pain too much, maybe it might go away on its own. Like that idea of like, if you fixate too much on the pain yep. and don't do other things, then you're, you're making it worse. But the, that strategy just doesn't work on its own. That's just, that's you're doomed to fail because there's some, there, there needs to be an inner transformation. You can't just do other things and just hope that it'll go away on its own. You have to actively engage in it, from what I understand. You have to get in there. You have to become comfortable with. The, you got to like the pain. You got to. You got to look at it in a different way. You. That's a good way of putting it. You. You got to be comfortable with it, and you got to really be able to just sit down, grab your com- comfy, com- yeah, comfortable, cushy chair, and stare at the pain right in the eyes, and have no response to it. That's 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 kind of the key, um, and and so what I was getting at before and um, what, what you're saying now, yeah, that you do actually, you do have to engage, but it's also co- counterintuitive. So you'll read in the way out um, kind of the most recent, if for people who are listening, the most recent book on this subject that while it's true that you want to do somatic tracking, that is you kind of are looking through your body. You're seeing where, if you have pain, you're looking and saying, okay, like, Oh, I have pain in my knee. Uh, what, there's, there's, it's almost like a this counterintuitive because you don't want to approach your pain with fear or with some sort of negative or even pot, like not you want a neutral response to the pain, just an acknowledgement. And then they say you can like do different words, be like, all right, that's safe. That pain, that that um, experience in my knee or whatever right now, it's safe, it's fine. 
and then keep moving through your body and kind of looking through your body. And really you're training your brain to, to say the, the thing I'm feeling is not, I'm not going to have any response to it. And so it's, it's while you are engaging it. uh, And this is only one aspect of, of the kind of the TMS process in, in, in my experience, other people have different experiences and it's not a one size fits all. Like there's, it's, this is your mind and your mind engaging with pain and pain being created by your mind and how, uh, how various people have overcome it. And it's not, there's usually not one story for anyone. Yeah. But, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say like, uh, by you saying having no response to the pain, that doesn't mean, ignore the pain no no you're staring right at it you're you're actually it's almost like you're taking steps towards it you're walking towards the pain looking at it and being and not having a response just walking up to it staring at it turning it around looking at it in different light saying oh that's interesting oh look at that there oh okay yeah that's that's something too Mm. and uh yeah it's a process of of learning to to approach the pain in that kind of way to not run, but to actually engage, to become even yeah. more in the present moment than you were before. Because the pain dep- depends how you how you view it, and there's different theories behind this. But Sarna was big on the pain being a distraction. The pain distracts you from things going on underneath that are uh, that under the hood, as we were talking about this whole shadow self, this whole um, unconscious part of your brain that are the, the things that are just going haywire that you're not even conscious of uh, emotions that you're not even conscious of trauma that you're not even conscious of. That's just, this just going crazy under the, under the surface. Um, and the pain is a distraction from that saying, I, I can't deal with this thing. It hasn't been dealt with, with these things. Mm. And uh, here's some pain. So we don't have to think about it because it's just too much. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And so what I found in my own story and my own, coming out of chronic pain, especially with, with Howard's book on learn your pain is he basically gets you to do psychotherapy on yourself. So I never saw a therapist um, in any of this, but I basically did my own sessions of psychotherapy. So I would go down to the river. I do one of the exercises from his book. Sometimes you would uh, mentally create uh, a scenario from your past and you just live it out again. You talk it through, you pretend like you, it's you at that age mm. back at the time and you respond yeah. in a way that's appropriate. I, um, I did that recently, by the way. With, yeah, it's uh, wonderful. It sounds crazy. With, with a psychotherapist, I did it. Who, my good friend Carson Kavari at Thrive, uh, Thrive Downtown. Oh, good, wonderful. He, he's, he's not actually my um, counselor that I meet every week, who's also at Thrive Downtown, but he's the clinic director, and he's been on the podcast a few times. Really, really deeply insightful guy um, who, who knows so much about uh, what well, spirituality and religion and those kind of things, but he's just, he has a solid uh, clinical uh, counseling background and he knows all about the, the psychedelic world and he's helped heal just countless people here in um, BC dealing with depression, anxiety, PTSD, all, all sorts of things. Um, and uh, especially with the Carson who specializes in men's healing and specifically men who've gone through a lot of trauma. And so he's worked yeah. with a lot of, he's worked with a lot of military veterans, um, yeah. but, but, but he, he and I have been working together and been doing uh, psychedelic work and whatnot. And uh, he, he and I recently did a powerful uh, inner child session where we uh, just relived <laughs> some very, uh, you know, not, not what I would, 
ordinarily considered traumatic things like like rape or sexual abuse or violence, anything like yeah. that, but just just moments where I was just by myself going through a really hard time and the adults were acting like children in the room, throwing yeah. temper tantrums, meanwhile frightening and terrifying the kids, and I was just unable to process it. I was unable to process it, and I was just crying and sad and lonely and anxious and just reliving that. And uh, I guess I won't go into too much of it because there's, there's a lot of personal stuff there, but it was um, just meeting that inner child, meeting that kid who went through that extremely difficult time felt deeply uh, rewarding and gratifying to do that. Yeah. It was just, and at, uh, I guess if I were to say one, like, like one anecdote from that was just at a certain point, I was like, Hey, I'm here for you. Just closing my eyes and, Car- and Carson's there helping me through it. It's yeah, such a b- beautiful, pro- I'm just crying and I'm just, just looking at my inner child who's having a hard time while I was, uh, there's a lot of chaos ensuing around him. And I just said, Hey, I'm here for you. I'm here. And just re- repeating that like a mantra, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. And then uh, at one point, like giving him a hug actually. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that, that, I think that was Carson. That might've been Carson's suggestion. He's like, Hey, what would he want right now? He asked me and I was like, I, I think he wants a hug. And he's like, he's like, here, take this pillow. And I just, <laughs> it's, it sounds yeah. super weird, but it's like, I, I hugged him and then I cried and cried and cried. And it just, it felt, it felt beautiful. And, and then, you know, that's just beautiful in itself. But, but I, I will say I was expecting like the pain to go away after that session and it didn't. And there was yeah. a little bit of like, Hey, well, like, am I on the right path? But, yeah. but I think I, I don't need to be um, so obsessed about just getting rid of the pain right away and that I should have more faith. But, but that session, at least on the, just the psychological front seemed to be really, seemed to be really productive and cathartic. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm so like, I, if you would have asked me before this whole thing about something like that, I would have laughed at you and said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> me too. Right? And now I'm just, I'm so for it. I don't, there, it, this kind of stuff is so incredibly beneficial. Uh, I did, I've done similar things. Um, like when my, 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 when my dad left when I was a kid, I had like this memory in my head and I kind of had to go back there and like, kind of just have both my parents in front of me and just say like, this is not my fault. This is your fault. Like mm. I am not responsible for like your shit in, in my life. And like, instead of like the response, which I did have as a child, which is fear, right? Deep fear yes. that I've done something wrong. Like I caused this thing. Right. And so I kind yeah. of, I worked through a lot or, of my or, life. Or, or in my case, it was just like, not that I caused it, but I was unable to fix it. I yeah. was the cause, but I also wasn't able to do much about it, even though I tried. And so they're both fear. Cause one is helplessness, right? Yeah. Yours would be helplessness. Like I can't do anything about it. Right. Yeah. And so like, th- these are some of the exercises that Howard has people go through. And so just before we, le- uh, before I forget what you just mentioned, I, I, I'm going to, here's my, here's a pro tip for you in, in your healing from chronic pain. So what you just said to me was, you know, I did the session and I was hoping that the pain would go away and I'm kind of like bummed that it's not going to go away. That whole framework uh, go back to what I said a few minutes ago. You can't have a mindset of negativity towards the pain, right? It, you, what you're still expressing there to me is that, oh, I, I really want to heal it. I really want to heal it, which is still giving it something, right? You're giving it yeah. some sort of uh, place in your life. You actually have to learn to transcend that, which is very hard and it takes time. Um, 
but yeah. but the, I'm just like kind of trying to help you because I got stuck in the same rut. Like, oh, after that awesome session, like totally, I'm going to be better tomorrow, where it's going to be thirty percent better or whatever. But it, it never does do that because it's the pain still has that hold of distraction. Mm-hmm. It still has yeah. that negative. It's emotion. still capturing you. You want to get rid of it, so therefore you're concretizing it. You're you're, you're still you're you're reifying it into an actual thing that needs to be yeah. get. If you're giving it attention, it just comes down to you're giving it attention, a negative attention, which then it still serves. It's however we want to parse out the, the psychological function of this pain. Um, It's still serving that purpose, whatever it is. And so you have to actually kind of learn to not have that relationship with it. And and like we were saying, just look at it. Right. And just say, okay, you're here still but I'm working on my mental health and I'm working on my, the trauma in my life. And you know what, even if you were, whether there was pain or no pain, uh, this is still really important to do because I need to be well in my mind. And so I, I got to the place where it's like, okay, my pain isn't really going away and it's frustrating, but I'm going to let that go. And I'm going to work on, I know this, what's wrong is my, is, is my mind. And I know it's trauma related and I know it's related to, how I'm dealing with life. So that's something we haven't talked about yet. And we should just for a second here. I th- there's, there's a trauma component that you need to work through for some people. And that was true for me, but there's also true for the both of us. It seems for, for parents. Yeah. Who are creating chaos in the home. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But and part of that. More, and when one point I'll quickly make on that too, is like the, yep. I, I had Dr. Clark on the podcast and he's also written a book on this that, that I, that I maybe should read soon. He's the president of the, Psychophysiological Disorders Association uh, okay. in the United States, and so he he's closely affiliated with guys like Alan Gordon and Howard Schubiner, and so he, he's one of these guys too. And and you haven't heard of him, by the way? Uh, I might have. I'm not sure. Yeah, so we've we've had on the we've had him on the podcast, and and one thing that he told me, uh, well, yeah, privately, he was telling me that you need to go into your childhood and process those emotions and. Uh, couple other people suggested that too and for me it was just like no like i'm free from that I, mm-hmm. i'm liberate i'm like that's not who i am anymore that's that's in the past why would you go in the past and there's and, and there's a way in which the uh, eastern meditative path might be a little misleading for somebody in my position or somebody who's gone through that kind of trauma because that, that's very much how sam harris and and any practitioner any real practitioner of meditation is going to say is that you can be free from the past and the future if you just pay close enough attention to the present moment. You can be free and alive right now. It, it doesn't matter where you've come from, what trauma you've had, and where you're going to go. Right now, you can access pure joy, pure consciousness. And mm-hmm. in the Hindu context, that's equated with God, with mm-hmm. Brahman. Like right now, no matter how traumatized you are, right now, you can look at this glass of water and take a sip from it. <laughs> And you can fully enjoy it and experience God through it. And, mm-hmm. and, and there's, there's a lot of merit to that. And that's an idea I'm exploring spiritually. And, and I think there's, there's a lot there that I want to learn about. And I, and I see, I, I think I understand the point, although I still want to fully experience that, which is just, just continual meditation practice. But, but in a way, just coming from that perspective, I was like, why, why would I go back? Mm-hmm. Why would I go back into something that's, just going to cause me more pain and anxiety if I just stay in the present moment. I, I'm, I'm not thinking about it. I'm not conscious of of like like this trauma is not bothering me. I'm not having flashbacks. It's not 
something that I want to think about, nor, nor am I involuntarily thinking about it. So, so what's the point? And, and my therapist, Shiva and Carson and Dr. Clark, they're like, no, no, you, you have to go back in there. And so I, I'm just sort of taking this by faith of like, okay, these people are saying I should do this and I don't want to do it because it, it also does create uh, a lot of anxiety and a certain amount of resentment and anger when you're bringing those mm-hmm. things up again. Mm-hmm. Um, although it's, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm doing it in very controlled settings um, at certain times, whether I'm journaling or with my counselor every week or with Carson and some of these sessions, it's not like I'm thinking about this all day. Cause I think, I think that's, that's the crucial difference here, right? Within the, the, that's what meditation teaches you is about not getting stuck in loops of over rumination, which is if I'm kind of left to my own devices, like, yeah, I'll start just over ruminating about the past as I do with certain other things that have happened to me unrelated from the childhood stuff, but other more recent things or things in the future, it's very easy to just get caught up in that and just keep thinking and thinking and thinking without knowing it. But in this case, it is important to go back in there, even if you don't see the point. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't know how it works. Um, I know Ozanis writes in one of his books. I don't know how scientifically accurate this is, but he does quote some, some research that kind of the asp this part of your brain where where this kind of like childhood stuff, trauma stuff would be, would be um, it, it's like timeless is what they said. And that like, it's just always there. And it's almost like always in, like it, it doesn't perceive time. So it's almost like that trauma is still just lodged there until it's dealt with. I don't know how true that is, but uh, it certainly comes it, it, it in practice. It seems to be true in that you actually do have to deal with the trauma for some people. Uh, but this leads to the, the trauma aspect is one uh, is one portion of what we're talking about. I think what you were just saying too, the idea of catastrophizing, thinking about the future and 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 letting it grab hold of you in these fear, this kind of fear response to life um, mm-hmm. that that you're that happens to you where you get caught up in something and you get maybe even obsessed with it or um, it just grabs you and 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 takes a hold of you. Uh, this is the other aspect of healing chronic pain for me. That, 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 I, that I had to come to terms with, which was how do I deal with myself and with life in the present moment? And I think it's related to trauma in that um, you've learned to respond to life based out of your past. And a lot of the big moments, the big trauma moments are, are um, uh, catalyzing and um, cauterizing even moments uh, in your life that set you on a path. And for me, I learned to kind of engage everything from fear everything like every uh, my, uh, uh, I have this almost gut almost you can't even tell but because it's so ingrained in who I am that um, you, you, uh, a fear response and then a fix response and then um, got to make everything right so that um, you, you essentially you, you don't get hurt you don't do something wrong or and so that there's there's no problems or whatever and so like this very uh, kind of obsessive mindset. And so uh, this played itself out, especially in my career and in my hobbies where I would obsess about something and be the absolute best at it. Um, probably because I had a pretty fragile ego, to be honest, like I, I can't do something. If I, if I'm not good at this thing, then there's something wrong with me or that kind of thing. And, and this all traces back again. It's like, it's almost like a through line through my life that I never really learned how to internally monologue in a, a healthy way. That could be because my I didn't have really a dad around a lot of the time. Um, it could be for a host of reasons, um, a, a different things that happened in my life. Um, but my what I had to come to terms with was my inner monologue and my 
respond, how I was responding to things day to day in life. And what I, before I started working on it, I came to, and started, or when I started doing these assignments and started um, looking at it at the, at the start, I realized one, I'm a complete asshole to myself internally. I'm such a critic of myself. It's things that I would never say to other people. I say to myself internally um, to, to do better, to get better, to do, to whatever it is, this, this kind of like perfectionism, internal perfectionism. And Sarno talks about people who have chronic pain and who have the mind body syndrome. And it, often they have, this is the trait they have internally. They are very hard on themselves, even though they don't put that on other people. And so something in you kind of short circuits Ooh. when you're like that. And the, um, yeah, so and perfectionism, you said perfectionism. Yeah, perfectionism. And then just yeah. responding to things out of fear in life and catastrophizing. And I do have a lot of the perfectuation. Perfectionism. Pardon? Yeah, perfectionism. Yeah, that's that's my life. Everything has to be perfect. Yeah, um, which is why you have chronic pain. <laughs> well, fuck you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> you know, perfectionism. Yeah, that's been going on for a very long time. That's um, I'm just trying to think that. Yeah, I just. Every every art assignment, every painting, every sketch in elementary yep. school, it just has to be the best. And uh, every essay in English class has to be the best. I remember final exams for English in grade nine. It's like everybody was done their English essays. And, and maybe the part of this is also, which, which I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, about lack of focus, ADHD type of behavior um, that might be correlated with trauma. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. ever had that or if you know much about it. Uh, we, we we can talk about that in a second, but the perfectionism too. I remember sitting um, in the exam gym, uh, in the school gym. Everybody has left the gym. Everybody's finished their essays, and I'm there for an extra two hours after the last person has left, or maybe an hour and a half, just sitting there because I'm trying to write the perfect essay. Yep. And that's the yeah. That's just how yeah yeah. That's just how I do things constantly. Even now, um, sometimes my editor. <laughs> at the New York Post or the Globe and Mail, she said, uh, sometimes you just have to let your babies die, which is kind of a weird uh, abortion reference that I didn't like. But um, <laughs> but but uh, she meant in terms of like certain sentences or certain paragraphs where I'm like, no, 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 no. We have to keep this in. No, I'm like, this point is really important. She's like, no, Rav, no, concision, concision is best in writing. And I just, I guess sometimes can't let it go because I'm trying to make the perfect piece of art in my mind. Yep, and uh, I, I don't know where exactly it comes from, but I'm sure it has to do in some part due to the culture that I was brought up in. Like, yeah, my, and I uh, would really try and trace that back to your your childhood and wh- why did you become a perfectionist, and what yeah, like, it, that risk, um, like kind of deep down in your psyche for if you don't do it perfect, what's at risk? What does that mean for you? Um, and what how would that uh shake your your ego uh, you know and these are really important things because your perfectionism comes from somewhere not everybody is a perfectionist so why why are you like this and uh in one sense it's a noble trait but in another sense it it could be a crutch like a psychological crutch that you um or even based out of fear you know what i i'm perfect if i'm perfect at it i can't i'm not going to fail if i'm perfect at it um i'm safe like there's all sorts of of things that could be traced here i mean and you're and you're preaching to the choir man i went to oxford and got a phd (laughs) which is the top school in the world for what i do um perfectionism right like 
I, I always do the best on the exams. I am the top guy in the class. I am, I learn the languages. I do whatever, like I like be the absolute best. And it's like, why do I have to do that? And where does it come from? And is it actually healthy in the end to hold myself to these kinds of standards? It also leads to procrastination, which is, that's probably the biggest symptom I was aware of early on since uh, grade five or grade six. I was like, I'm always procrastinating on everything. I just can't get started on yeah. so many different things. Um, I don't know if you experienced that, but that's been a big part of my process is acknowledging this horrible procrastination I have that's been there for a very long time. I just always postpone things, always never want to get started on them. Maybe because I, I suffer from that, that perfectionism, which uh, well, might be traced to just parents having very high standards for me. Yeah. Um, early on, it's like just, switch, right. It's a switch mm-hmm. that if I'm going to do something, I'm turning the on switch on and it, there's no, there's no, it's not a dial. This is a, this is like an on and off switch. So if I'm going to do something, the switch goes on, which means it's going to be done right. It's going to be perfect. Like I'm that way where it's like, I don't, there's no dial here. There's no 40%, 60%. It's on or off. I'm not engaging. I'm procrastinating off or I flip it on and we're doing it, you know? Yeah. Or, or yeah, but not all, ta- I'm not perfectionistic with all tasks though. <laughs> Like certain I mean, things like that you care about, things yeah, that like certain, really like matter. House chores, I, like certain house chores and stuff. Like my mom is always like, you know, put in your full effort, Rav, when doing like whatever gardening, lawn mowing. And I just can't. I just, I'm like, I, I don't, I don't really like this. So I'm yeah. going to put in 60% when mowing the lawn or whatever, or 70%. But when writing an essay, I'm going to put in 120%. Because there's something on the line. Your ego's on the line on the one in the, uh, with the essay. Whereas mowing the lawn, there's, there, there, you're, yourself is not on the line right right yeah yeah and and, um, and i don't know if this was the case for you but parents setting very high standards that was a big issue for me of always having to do really really well in school that was kind of a big pressure so the perfectionism yeah. might be coming there coming from there in part yeah it very well could be for me i i wouldn't say i had that i did i did quite poorly uh in grade school uh, I, I, this is a totally different subject, but I, I did a lot of drugs when I was in high school. I, uh, with Joe, I, with uh, Joe, <laughs> I'm not, to, I'm not going to say, <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I mean, Joe's past is well known enough that, yeah, Joe and I made yeah. some mistakes together, but I, I got into a lot worse stuff, unfortunately, okay. uh, just like some really hard stuff. And, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't, yeah, I, I wasn't a Christian at that point or anything like that. And, uh, yeah, it uh, I, so I didn't really have the perfectionistic upbringing, but I think mine was probably more of, I never was taught standards that are like uh, right appraisal of oneself. And so my only way to compensate for, for not knowing whether or not I was doing a good or a bad job was to do perfect at what I care about so that I can't be critiqued because I'm better than you at it. Right. And so uh, I think mine was kind of the opposite way to the same train station just a different train to the same station right yeah so maybe not having the parental input i never really developed how to properly assess uh myself my work my situation and so it turned into an obsession perfectionist kind of kind of thing which itself if you think about it is a distraction mechanism it's almost a chronic pain in and of itself because you're so focused and you have this constantly um constant constant attention diversion to to your work or to whatever you care about as an obsession almost an obsessive compulsive thing 
And it's almost the same function as chronic pain because it's a constant looking away, looking away, looking away. And I think even for myself that a lot of my perfectionism, which I, I think I'm a lot better with now, uh, it almost was the, the chronic pain before I got chronic pain. Uh, it was the distraction mechanism before the big distraction mechanism in my life. Mm. Yeah. And uh, have you experienced any ADHD symptoms, lack of focus, mind bouncing around all the time, inability to stay in the present moment? That's, that's, that's been a big part of my life is just having a very hard time of quieting the inner voice. Like I always jump to, and you know, this is going to vary from person to person, obviously, but I just, there's a voice in my head that's always uh, like, this is kind of a separate thing, which I'm sure is connected in some way that I can't fully understand yet. But I, I kind of picked up on this a couple months ago with my counselor and psychotherapist is that I'm always time traveling to some future fantasy. I'm always fantasizing yep. about things. I, I can't like just, just like taking a shower or cooking even. It's just hard to be in the present moment. It's hard to not fantasize about some future utopian scenario where I'm happy and I'm, I'm joyful and I have a beautiful wife or girlfriend and friends and blah, blah, blah. And all these things that I want, like I'm always unable to be in the present moment. Is that something you've experienced? That is. So now that I don't really have chronic pain, that is the struggle of my life. That's something I've, that's been a huge problem for me is detachment from the present moment. And I can, I can trace it back to when I was almost 13 or 14, where I, I actually had a moment where I could feel my brain and my body just kind of check out. Um, I was in grade, I think, 11. I think I just walked out of math class. And I was looking down uh, down by the Vetter River where the, the, where the base was when the schools had just been put in there, the, the grade schools. I remember it almost as like I was watching myself, like, like almost like third person. And my brain kind of just seemed to like check out and uh, – I saw some doctors about this. Uh, I, I saw a, neuro, a, neuro, I guess a neuroscientist or a neuro, neurologist in Vancouver, like a, a, a like a really a really well learned guy. And uh, it's it's the idea of derealization, the idea of um, not being able to engage in the present moment um, as like an actual symptom, a true a real thing that, that, that like uh, an actual condition, which I, I think is a precursor for my chronic pain at least. And again, is my brain, I think de- not dealing with trauma, not dealing with these things. So I, my, you asked what my opinion on all this is. I'm not a doctor, a medical doctor. I am a doctor in the philosophical sense, um, but I'm not an MD. Uh, but sorry, I, you said, like, were you, were, were you conditioned? Were you, sorry, were you diagnosed with a condition? Yeah. 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 Um, is it ADHD or? No, it was derealization, which I oh, think a lot sorry, of people yeah, today yeah. would just put in the ADHD camp. ADHD seems to be pretty popular these days as a kind of catch-all. And um, I don't want to – yeah, I, again, I'm not an MD, but I wonder if – I mean, I took an, I actually took an ADHD quiz, I think, last night or the night before, and uh, I got really high up on the score. It was like 59 or something out of 64, 58 out of 64 – on this, this test. Um, but even so, yeah, I, yeah, I wonder, I, I wonder if a lot of this is again, just th- these are all symptoms, but they aren't the problem. Right. And I, I don't know. I, I don't want to, yeah, o- overstate any sort of cases, but I'm just such a big proponent now of 
taking control of your mind and not letting yeah. your mind don't be a victim of, of don't be a victim of uh, a label that a doctor is going to give you like uh, whatever, like you have chronic pain, you're done for life. You're are, you are a victim of chronic pain. You can now take the victim card and sh- sh- flat, wave it around to everyone around you and you can't do anything or same with depression and anxiety and all that. It's like, well, let, let's hold on a second. Can we back up? And can we, what if your mind actually can help you? What if you actually can get out of some of this stuff? I'm not saying it's easy. You've said it, or you've mentioned you, you were weeping through a session. The amount of times I, like, the, the, I don't want to come across here. Like this is an easy process. Like doing yeah, psychotherapy, yeah. working on your brain, going through trauma is very painful. It is, it is not comfortable. Um, you have to face the skeletons in your closet. At least I did. Maybe some other people don't. Maybe they just use somatic tracking and they use, you know, like just not acknowledging the pain or, or not giving it any sort of response. Like maybe some people do that. I had to really dig in to the most painful yeah, things yeah. in my entire life yeah, yeah. and process them again. Um, yeah, that's what Dr. Clark was saying. He was saying somatic tracking, which, which I still feel like I need to do more of because there's still like when I'm by myself, and no, no phone call, no music, no work. I feel that pain, and suddenly there's just just fear associated with it, or at least mm-hmm. just, just anxiety. Like I, I don't, yeah. like, I hate this pain. I hate it. And I was, yeah, I was just drying it out yesterday as part of a, a journaling exercise. And I, and I journal every day now. By the way, it's just part of my broader yeah. me- mental health regimen. I just, I, uh, we had Daniel Lyman on the podcast uh, a couple weeks ago, and. Uh, he was one of Alan Gordon's uh, students and he has, uh, he's the director of this big clinic in Portland that specializes in mind body therapy. That's awesome. And yeah, yeah, he's great. And yeah, he was saying journaling is, is crucial and get to get getting over this, like expressing your feelings on paper, drawing it out, expressing it any way you can. And for me, I was just drawing it out just like this pain. And I just drew like a lion with like big teeth. Yeah. And just like, like, that's just how I feel. Like, this line is saying like I'm taking away your happiness from you and uh, I was listening to Alan Gordon the other day uh, he, he has a podcast it's not super popular but he he puts episodes on there every now and then they're pretty short they're 30 minutes and uh, he described this in a really interesting way that I try to uh, that I'm memorizing now and just invoking whenever I'm experiencing pain he says instead of looking at the pain like like a jaguar or a tiger in the forest, like looking at it with hyper alertness, like, Oh shit. Yeah. Oh crap. It's going to attack. It's, it's going to attack me. I should be worried. Look at it. Like just curiously and casually just gazing at the sky, looking at the clouds. Yep. You're laying down on the grass. You're looking at the clouds. Look at it that way. Instead of like, Oh fuck, there's a tiger. Oh shit. What do I do? I run. Do I yep. look at it? Do, like, what do I do? And that's very much characterizes the feeling. It's like, I feel pain. It's like, Oh fuck. Oh crap. What do I do now? Well, you know, what am I, what am I going to do? What if it attacks me? What if it takes away my happiness right now? I'm trying to be in the present moment. What if it t- takes away from my joy and my love and compassion for other people? Like what's like, there's all this yeah. toxic thinking that's associated with it. So I'm trying to change my thought patterns about it. But at the same time, Dr. Clark was saying that that's like, that's only step one he was saying, which I still haven't mastered, but he was saying the deeper work is acknowledging and reprocessing those negative emotions from childhood, which as Daniel Lyman, the psychotherapist was explaining to me, he was saying that like he, like he was saying, yeah, you need to feel those emotions again. And I said, I've already felt those emotions in childhood. I was always anxious and angry. 
And he was like, no, no, no. He was like, those are just masking the actual emotions. Mm-hmm. And, and oftentimes like anger, like I didn't feel much anger. It was just anxiety. It was just hatred. It was not, I just didn't like the situation and I was just depressed and anxious. But underneath that there was, there was deep anger. There was hatred. There was mm-hmm. hopelessness. There was just so much underneath that, that he was explaining to me that the anxiety just makes you not actually feel those emotions. And so feeling them now is the way out. Yeah. It's, it's so true. And uh, Schubiner gets a lot into that, how you need to express yourself with the proper emotion for the given situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, like go, going back into it and actually um, experiencing it in the way that that was would have been proper, which so for me, like as a kid, like I said earlier, getting mad, at, not at me, not at anyone, but at my parents, like this is this is on you and other experiences, you know, going back and saying or, or weeping about something like something that you deeply regret and that maybe you blocked off and saying, you know what, I, 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 I was at fault and like, forgive me for this or whatever. Or uh, even asking yourself that that's an interesting one to do to, to meet with yourself, to sit down. So I said, let's say I sit down with 17 year old me who's hooked on cocaine. Right. And being like, you know what, man, you made a lot of bad choices and I, and like, I totally forgive you for that. And it's okay. Like you're really hurting at this time and like being able to actually have sympathy for yourself at back at a time um, that you were really struggling. Right. Um, it's all, all part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 There's parts of me, not from childhood, but later on that are resulted in a negative self image, like just uh, a lot of desperation um, for other people, just constantly seeking for other people's validation that, this led to a lot of obsessiveness uh, for other people, obsessing over various people, whether it was romantic or even platonic, and mm-hmm. just constantly pursuing that and just uh, developing a very bad public image in high school and a little after high school with regards to that. And um, it's it, it's hard because you, again, it's not even conscious that I feel that way about myself, but I was I was just reminded of it the other day. I saw somebody and they were from high school a church actually i was at church the other day Southside church which i love yep. you just saw somebody from high school and um they don't want anything to do with me and i there's a coincidence because i tried reaching out to them through a different friend just, just a week before that and i haven't seen this person in three years and i see them there at, at church and uh they this friend had told me like she wants nothing to do with you just it's better if she just stays away from me and i'm like like I didn't even do anything that bad. Like you're treating me like a criminal here. Yeah. <laughs> so that like that feels horrible looking at myself in that way. And that's one thing Dr. Clark was actually emphasizing to me was especially with childhood. He was saying having this deep sense of pride that you've been through this, you've been through those difficult times and you've gotten through it and you're still here today and you're fine. You're still doing good things in the world. Um, just, just acknowledging just uh, how much pain was experienced in that time and that you that, that you made it through and you didn't totally succumb to it. That yeah. He was saying that's a major, that's a big piece, having a positive self-image, being proud of yourself that you got through it. Yeah, well, that's kind of what I was alluding to earlier, that, that the, the positive and the self-voice, the inner monologue, um, kind of the, the voice in your head that, that you speak to yourself with, for me, uh, it, you know, it's this, I don't know how you describe it. Like it's your, it's the voice going on in, in your head. 
um, when you're talking to yourself or whatever. And having that voice, well, sometimes you can be critical, sure, but actually trying every day or often in the day saying, like, you're proud of yourself for going to work today. Like, way, way to go. You were, t- you were tired this morning and you came home and you, you went to work. Like, good job. Like, and it kind of brings you to it, 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 uh, leads you into that whole inner child thing. Cause that's what a kid really needs to hear. Right. And maybe you didn't get that when you were a kid, like, Hey, you did the thing today. Good job. Like way to go. Mm-hmm. Even though it's not a big deal. Right. And like being able to have that kind of self-compassion. Um, we had chatted before a little bit about like, and, and I had mentioned the whole love your neighbor as you love yourself. Like that whole thing, that mantra of you actually do need to love yourself, have compassion for yourself, be proud of yourself, have positive uh, yeah, that gets missed so comments <laughs> towards yourself. Pardon? I said that gets missed so much. Yeah. The, the self-love piece. And for me, this is a, this is another, like we're, we're, we're dealing with so many branches, right? You have one, you have a set of problems and it's resulting in so many behaviors. We've talked about ADHD, perfectionism, lack of focus and mindlessness and all these things. And for me, the other thing is just like, I, I, um, I, I don't know if you've experienced this, but over the past several years, really like this has been going on for a long time. And, uh, and also I should say the, the therapy session I did actually, it was really beautiful because I, I ended up unearthing emails that I had sent when I was like 12 or 13 years old to a family friend when I was going through a really hard time. I'd read these long emails <laughs> and it's, I saw the same email address. I was just looking at them the night before my therapy session because I was trying to remember what exactly I'd went through. And those emails just evoked so much uh, emotion because in those emails, I was like kind of crying for help. Yeah. I didn't have anybody that, like, that, that was this whole other thing. And we maybe chat about that privately another time. Yeah. But, um, but, but, but in those emails, one of the things I expressed was I, I hate myself. I never get things done. I'm unable to focus. I just, I'm always procrastinating. I'm just, I always do my math homework super late. I just, I, I, I stay up till 12 a.m., and trying to do my homework and I go to school late. I miss the bus sometimes and I'm always sleeping late and handing in things late. And my teachers are always mad at me. My mom's mad at me for being late on everything. And that that's still a thing today. Like over, like I, I use the high performance planner. I'm, I don't know if you've heard that before. It's, no. it's a really good, it's a really good planner that I use every day. It just has, it, every day has the same prompts, but it's set up in a way where you can track your goals, weekly goals, monthly goals, yearly goals, stuff like that. And I've been using this planner for three years now. And I would say for, I would say my average, like, like, so I write down goals every day, like 10, 15 things I have to do. And I would say, uh, 99.999% of time of the time, I never end up finishing all of those things. And I, I do calculate my daily average, like what percentage of things I got done. And sometimes I weigh those things differently certain things I give more points. Other things are a little more trivial or can be done later. And I would say my average is probably over the past three years, if I had to guess somewhere in like the 40 to 30 to 50% range or 30 to 60% range mm-hmm. of, I'm never able to get things done. The one, the things that I want to get done. Is, is that something you've struggled with that I'm sure is just a behavior that has been created by these other forces from childhood? Yeah, uh, I, I've tried to whittle things down so that I don't have a giant list anymore. And so, cause just it, the, the list itself is a pressure if you've got so many things. And I don't know if that's possible to do for you, but, uh, I try to, to keep things minimalistic. Um, which, uh, 
that yeah. way I don't I don't have as much pressure going on myself. I really try to take pressure off myself. I have lots of response. I have very big responsibilities in my life, but I try to keep my attention just to those things. I got to publish. I've got some like book. I got a book and a commentary that are on the go right now. Um, I got my kids, my wife, and some other job stuff, and I try to kind of keep everything else on the periphery of it's actually okay if it falls to the wayside and um, the world will not end if I miss things, you know, and it, it again comes back to self-compassion and being realistic and trying not to be Superman. Yeah. And do you know David Goggins? Yeah. 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 I, I love him and he's inspirational, but <laughs> during my therapy session with Carson, he was saying to me, based on what I was saying, he's like, you, you know, the David Goggins way is actually not, what works for most people <laughs> like that no. super conquer your inner bitch, just force yourself to doing things and just grinding through the pain. Yeah. Being super hard on yourself. It's like, he's like, that doesn't work like that. That may work for some people and it may work in certain contexts. And there's some merit to that idea, but there has to be a foundation of self love and self compassion. It's the same thing. It's the Jocko, yeah. the Jocko way of doing things too. Jocko. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I heard him on Joe Rogan one time and I just, I had to turn it off because he said, you know what? Like, I think it was him who said, I can't go and sit on a beach and relax. That's not okay. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's buddy, so stupid. I hate that. Buddy, <laughs> what is wrong with you? I do not want to live like you. Get away no. from me. <laughs> and, I, and I like Jocko, but I'm, I'm a fan of him in some ways. But yeah, yeah. That, same thing with David Goggins. It's like, you. I don't want to be like David Goggins. I, I, I want to be like Sam Harris, you know, in his case somebody who's able to enjoy every moment of life, or at least in, enjoy more moments of life than most people do, and that he's able to be aware and be fully immersed in the present moment and enjoy yeah. the, the little things about life. Like that's, and, and you know, you said you're working on that right now. And I'm, I'm sure you've explored mindfulness meditation. I highly recommend Sam's app. Cause he, yeah. Yeah. I've listened to a lot of Sam. I don't have his app and I've done other mindfulness exercises, but I haven't specifically done the waking up one. I can give you a free 30 days voucher for it. We can give users can give unlimited amounts of those. Um, oh, they're yeah. Yeah. If, if you want, I can, I can just send you like a free 30 day thing and you can download it and see, see if it works for you. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. Like that's kind of where I started with this healing path. It's like, things aren't feeling good for me. I feel depressed. I feel lonely and anxious. And then I started listening to Sam Harris and listening to certain Eastern gurus and sages. And they, you know, did they offer something like, you can transcend the self and overcome suffering, but it's, it's only through dis, dis, uh, disidentifying from your thoughts and your feelings and emotions in, in many ways. Um, and, I, and, and in some ways that can be unhealthy for certain people and it, it can be misleading what exactly that means because as Sam explained, it's not about running away from emotion, but it's fully, fully recognizing it for what it is. Yeah, and realizing that it's just—it's not that scary monster that you think it is, and running away from it forever, and distracting yourself from it—that's giving it power. And so you want to look at it full on, and yeah. recognize the half-life of it, and then—and that's a big part of Buddhism too, is just recognizing impermanence. It's a big theme of, of Sam's meditations too. Anyways, I'm just going on a bit of a tangent here. But, you didn't um, mention an app though. I, I, I could do a little plug here. There's an app called Curable. Oh yeah, Thanks. I just downloaded that, but it, it's I can't quite. I, I just spent a lot of money on a few different things, but it's it is like sixty bucks a month or sixty bucks sixty bucks a year, I think. 
Yeah, I, I highly recommend it. It's yeah. if you have chronic pain, and like not just saying you, but general plural you, uh, people out there. If I used Curable for probably a year or eight months, I don't use it anymore, but I'm really grateful for it. It's it's just a really good little thing. If you need to just go take 15, 20 minutes, open it up, choose an exercise, a meditation, whatever. Uh, I, I found it to be really beneficial. Yeah, I, sh- I should get it. Yeah, yeah, and I, that's uh, the, the app is specifically for people with chronic pain. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And it's Dr. Using... Clark, Dr. Clark recommended it to me. He was one of the ones who helped design it. Oh wow! Okay. It on, the, on the podcast, yeah, great. Yeah. So, do you um, do you want to kind of close the loop with your journey, like how you um, how the pain eventually went away for you, how you healed it? Um, I guess we didn't really talk much about that. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's just been a it's been a, a, a slow journey. That's all it's been. It's there's never been a moment of like. Wow, there's a 50% progress. Well, yeah, except for when my pain went away that like eight months later in my back. But like for the last, I guess, how long am I into this now? Um, like you were talking about the first few months. Yeah, so what are we at now? We're at, when, when, when was COVID? COVID was three years. COVID started uh, beginning of 2020. Yeah, so now we're in, in 2022. And. Yeah, so and about halfway through. Yeah, so it's been about almost three years or close to two and a half years. Um, it's just been a process of really just every day. It, it's changing who you are, right? It's not being a different person in that you're not. I'm not Joel anymore, but it's it's slowly well, going. In some ways, it is right. In some ways, well, it is. Yeah, the it fearful is. Joe, the the Joe that's stressed out, that's constantly obsessing over things. Like it, it is a it is a new person, right? In many ways, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but I'm just saying, like, I still have a personality of I still like playing guitar. I still like biblical yeah, studies in my career and all that. Like, I like all these things. It's just I've learned to just watch for where I put pressure on myself. Watch for where I have a response of fear. Watch for flare ups of like, because I'll get pain every once in a while where I'll just kind of be like, oh, what's going on? What, am I stressed out right now? What am I putting pressure on myself about? Can I take take a second? Stop deep breaths in all the way full lungs all the way out somatic track maybe for a minute if i have pain just kind of look at it be like okay well i guess maybe i really think i need to meet a deadline today about such and such a thing do i actually is it actually imperative that i meet that deadline right now no like there are very few deadlines that are that imperative and so like just reevaluating the situation not catastrophizing like all of these different patterns of thought and body awareness and present moment awareness and breathing. Like all of this has just been skills and tools I've picked up. And I kind of do them all at once now to kind of create this Zen state, you know, of like, uh, maybe it's what Sam's talking about. This kind of like fully present state. I'll try and stop. Maybe I'll go smell some roses in our yard and just Mm -hmm. like take a second and be like, you know what? And like, I know there's the phrase go and like stop and smell the roses, but I literally do go and smell my roses mm-hmm. in, in the yard because they're wonderful. And like one of the coolest little pleasures in life, like a good cup of tea or something like mm-hmm. just finding things, finding yeah, that that's appreciation, awesome. finding thankfulness. Like I'm a Christian. I'll often pray, you know, like God, like I'm really thankful for the moment. Like, please help me to just kind of calm this, whatever's going on within me. You know my deepest self more than I ever know myself, and so like help me to find peace in this, and help me to to like walk forward in peace. 
And like all these things, I take them all and I, I, they're not always doing them every time. The thing is, if you created a list that you had to do every time, you're already counterproductive because you're, you're putting pressure, right? You're creating, I have to do the things to get rid of the thing. Whereas it's backing off and just being and being Mm -hmm. present and um, letting this kind of transformation happen. Sam Harris would love that, by the way, you just said. And he, uh, well, one of the great things about his meditation uh, app and his teachings is that he, he presents a fully integrated vision of meditation where the, the, the goal is to meditate less technically for him. It's to get to a place where the, the border between real waking life and meditation doesn't exist anymore. And he himself doesn't meditate anymore because that's just his, his default state is to be in the present moment. Well, oh, like what, a, what a, a dream, man. That's what I want. I, I, that's, yeah, that's the aim. I want. Yeah, a lot of my days, it's like, stop, be in the present moment. Stop, so take hard. a look at your kid's face. Yeah. Stop. That's really funny the way that they're they're blinking or making a face right now. I got a, a one-year-old. She's hilarious. Like, stop, be in the moment, and realize how hilarious she is because she is. And like, Or like my son, he just goes off on these gigantic rants. Just usually you kind of t- t- tune them out. Don't tune it out. It's it's funny. Listen to this kid go, and like yeah, being present is it. It is not easy to do in our day and age, and it might be the cause of this. What I consider to be an epidemic of mind, body, health issues that are going on. Uh, I I don't know if I, I kind yeah. of made that clear. I really do think this is a bane in our society, um, I, because it's not talked about in the typical Western system. I, I, I just try everybody that I, everyone I see, I like that's how we've, we've hooked up. If they want to hear about it, I'll talk about it because how many issues are going un, unsolved because we don't talk about the mind body connection and health and how many people in chronic pain are sitting there like I was ready to jump off a bridge and being, you know, basically, uh, yeah, I, I got close, man. It was so bad. And it's like, wow. how many people are like that and they're suffering when they, when this and the system isn't helping them we need to change we need an overhaul and that's the problem with this is that it would destroy the current healthcare system if we did the, did things this way and i'm not saying don't fix people with broken knees and people who yeah, have yeah, yeah. Like, like heart heart attacks none of that stuff i'm not saying any of that. i'm just saying for these things that aren't acute like that these chronic things that are going on and if there is a mind body connection like how many meds would stop being prescribed? Like I used to take like bucketfuls of opiates just to deal with my pain. I take yeah. nothing. Oh, wow. No problem. Crazy. Like I'm good, but it was hor- The pain was so bad. I had to. And it's like, yeah, how much money is not going to a pharmaceutical company now because of what I've done and how many other people yeah. wouldn't have to take medication. They can actually just achieve this through, through uh, a holistic self. Right. And so um, uh, it, it, would just, it would it would overturn the medical system, unfortunately, because the way we've set things up, think about WCB, think about um, workers comp and all these things where um, you have to prove a specific injury to get compensated for time off because of pain. But if some pain is caused by your mind, like how do you compensate someone for that? Say like, go figure it out and then come back whenever you're ready. Like you can't pay somebody out for that when they t- lose time from work. Like it just doesn't work in the current system right. if, if it's a mind body thing. And so it's a huge issue and not to mention the whole idea that the pain is very deceptive often that it'll appear in places that you most believe it to, that you think it would appear that you have the most, um, well, that's what I was saying. The hardest part about the whole, this whole thing is that it, the pain is deceptive um, a lot of the time. 
And so, yeah, it, it doesn't fit in the current system. And so it'll be very difficult to, 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 to do an overhaul. And I don't even know how you do it, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And just a side point on that. Do, do you know Russell Brand at all? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of him and, and probably agree with him on certain core things, which I can't say for a lot of other people. But uh, he, he, he makes a point about psychedelics too, is what, you know, what, why, why isn't MDMA therapy legal like why aren't there clinics where you can go if you're depressed and you can do three grams of mushrooms with a therapist and uh, work through your trauma like why is that not available why are antidepressants more available than uh psychedelic therapies and he was saying and it's it's true you it's it's very difficult to make profit off of something you don't do like you don't do regularly like if you talk to any uh, psychedelic informed therapist or psychologist. We, we've, we've had many of those on the podcast. It's, it's not something you regularly do, right? It's something you just do like w- once a month at most for s- some time, but usually like you space it out every few months. And, 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 and those things, they show incredible efficacy and have very little side effects when done in the right way. But, uh, but, but, but big pharma is not going to invest in that because that, that's something that will heal you and you won't any longer need to depend on it. Whereas other pharmaceuticals, you have to depend on it, right? Yeah, I mean, the opioid thing, it doesn't make sense. It's like they gave me enough opioids to knock out a horse. like, and but the thing is, like, that's okay, but it's, it's not okay to do other things. Like, I'm not necessarily um, saying I have a specific position on this. It's something I'm, I'm thinking about. But yeah. it's just strange that as a society, we accept, like, maybe with caution, opioids, but that's essentially a, 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 a weak form of like heroin. Um, and, but we don't accept other things that could potentially help people. Yeah. I, I don't like, know. Like, like psychedelics. Like psychedelics. Yeah. I don't, I don't have a, a position on it yet. Cause I, I, I don't know. It's tough, but um, it, I at least think it's a little bit hypocritical um, in which substances are deemed po- po- right and wrong when opioids are, are very, very harmful um, in the long term, at least in, in my experience as well. And we don't have time to get into that. But, yeah, um, yeah I, I'm not a fan, but they make so much money for pharmaceutical companies. And, yeah, uh, it's – I wonder, though, I would push back only in that I wonder, is it possible to achieve what you're talking about with psychedelics without them um, but doing what I did? Because, like, I didn't need psychedelics to – to deal with my trauma. Like what happens? What if you don't actually need that, even though it could be a catalyst and I'm not saying it's not. Um, but why do you think they're essential? Do you think they're essential? Um, no, well, it, it depends. it's essential for whom and for what context. I mean, yeah. I, I don't, I, I, I would be willing to say they might be essential actually for many people where, like, like we, we had Dr. Matt Johnson on. He's uh, one of the top psychedelic researchers on the planet working at Johns Hopkins University uh, with Roland Griffiths. I don't, I don't know if you know that name. Uh, Joel Roland Griffiths was on Jordan Peterson's podcast last year, actually. And that's what convinced me to do psychedelics. Oh, interesting. Okay. Roland Griffiths is the one who's pioneered the, the, the brilliant psychedelic studies at Johns Hopkins University. He somehow got a grant for doing these studies several years ago. And he, he's done the depression studies, the anxiety PTSD, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And um, for j- just hearing so many reports and anecdotes 
about this. Like when you're dealing with somebody who's chronically depressed or who has a lot of PTSD, it's very hard to get out of it. It's very, and I'm not really in that scenario myself. So in some sense, I don't know what it's like, but it's, it's, it's very hard to get out of that. And then these things are massive catalysts because when you're in that altered state, you're, it's much easier to process these things. Um, especially on MDMA, it's because you're flooded with euphoria and positive emotion. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, MDMA disarms the amygdala temporarily. So it re- drastically reduces fear in your brain. So you, you come, all these things from childhood and whatnot are coming at you and you're not, you're, you're, you're still crying and you're still struggling through it and you're kind of resisting it, but you're, but you're much more open to just uh, accepting those things and processing them. And uh, it's, it's much easier to relive certain traumas in a, in a very safe way. And something like psilocybin, it's just you're, you're in the experience and things that are bothering you are going to come up. You have no choice. Whereas, as Dr. Matt Johnson was explaining to me, when you're dealing with a chronically depressed person or somebody who has PTSD, they're, they're scared to talk about their traumas. Or, it, or if they're not scared, it just creates a lot of misery and, and ruins their day if they bring it up and, start talking about it. And there's all these thick barriers that we have when yeah. talking about these things. And so psychedelics just utterly just penetrate those walls like nothing else <laughs> and you're able to access those things. So that's, uh, so I think it's essential for many people who are in that chronic depressive state. And I know many of those people or, and whether that's anxiety or PTSD as well, or other mental uh, illnesses for them, um, maybe not essential, but you could say th- this could be revolutionary to do something like this and then might even be essential for people who um, are just not inclined to do traditional psychotherapy because it's difficult to do it when you're sober, but yeah. And and then these things that they open up to eventually healing these parts of yourselves uh, when you're sober, but uh, without that initial jolt that the psychedelics can provide or periodically provide for people, it's very hard to get to that place of inner healing. Yeah, that's a, that, I mean that's that's a good counter argument, and I yeah I don't want to I'm not going to speak against it just because it's very well could be a, an avenue forward in medicine. Like if we're talking about medicinal use of these things to heal to help heal people, um, like I, I have to keep an open mind. Like if we're talking about recreational, let's go take as much acid as we can and see what happens because that's what I yeah. did. When I was a teenager, and I'm telling you, it was not a positive experience on two occasions. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, so maybe I'm jaded towards some of this stuff too. Um, and maybe also I just have this, um, kind of optimism because of, I didn't need that for healing my chronic pain and dealing with my trauma. But, uh, certainly I, I don't want to discount an area of, of burgeoning medicine that could be potentially helpful to people because who let's, yeah, I, I really don't like standing in the way of new scientific yeah. inquiry. Like, I'm very much a person of of truth and a person of exploration and creativity and new ideas. And let's see how they bounce and how they do. So I, I don't want to. Yeah, I'm not gonna speak against it. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, they say within the psychedelic world, set and setting are crucial. So you did not have a proper set and setting in any way. <laughs> Nor no, did you go in with not. any intentions, nor did you have any support, nor I don't know what amount you did. You said a very high amount. Um, yeah. just, it's it's not. You have all the all the other things around you are not right. So you're you're bound to have um, not not the most productive experience. And something like LSD is much more recreational in flavor, whereas uh, 
mushroom like all psychedelic that's the other thing too all psychedelics can be fireworks bliss euphoria ecstasy they can be a lot of fun too that, that's the other thing so it's um it, it's hard to distinguish between medicinal and recreational and spiritual that's the big issue with psychedelics i think that's what gives a lot of people pause is like like what's medicinal like yeah like 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 my friend he's dealing with some anxiety he's really stressed out these days he, he he's he's a christian by the way and you uh well yeah I, I won't say his name whatever but um he he's just dealing with some issues and uh he's, he doesn't have any mental illness or any chronic issues but he's just life is just not treating him well and he is interested in doing two or three grams of mushrooms um with the therapist or or i, I might even be playing the role of therapist because he can't afford it but uh cause it, it's hard to have a, a deeply like mystical or, or even traumatic experience on mushrooms when it's two or three grams. But, um, but like, is that, how is that not medicinal? But mine was medicinal. The ones that I did, like it's the, the line between the two, it's difficult to distinguish. But now we're adding right. in the, the caveat of legality. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. Cause technically it would be illegal. So that, that, that's a, that's, that's a pretty big deterrent. I think. Yeah, although we live in a weird place, Joel. We we live in Vancouver, where we're <laughs> me, me and my buddy. They have they have open uh, mushroom stores. We're gonna go visit one. It's called the Medicinal Mushroom Dispensary, and the Vancouver PD has basically said, "Yeah, we're not gonna do anything about it because we what? really we have other we have other, yeah. This is an open big. I'm gonna visit him to visit the store. Sorry, and the owner of the store was a writer, author, politician, psychedelic advocate. He's gonna be on the podcast soon. Wow. And uh, yeah, he, and there. This is a gigantic store in downtown Vancouver, and there are many other ones too in Vancouver. Lucky me, living in BC, this is happening here, <laughs> out of all places. It's similar to Portland, Oregon. Although I think we're, I think I'm just lucky to be born here in this specific city where this is going on. But uh, at the medicinal at the medicinal mushroom dispensary, they're openly selling all strands of mushrooms. They're selling DMT. They're selling wow peyote. And also, yeah, anyway, this is, we're going on a bit of a tangent yeah. here on psychedelics. Um, yeah. I do, I do want to hit on a couple other things. I do have to go by eight, by the way. Um, okay. Yeah, 15 minutes. Uh, a couple other things that I want to go over. Um, the, the first one is just like when you're experiencing chronic pain, like trying to identify the cause of it, that seems to be tricky for me to do. Um, like I, like I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a current wave of, of chronic chest pain. It was gone for about a few weeks or at least it was, it was 60% of it was gone or 70% of it was gone enough to get me going and doing all the things I want to do in life. And, um, it just came back again and I'm not sure why it came back. And when, and oftentimes I'm in the state where I'm not able to properly identify what the cause is. And I'm wondering if, you know, like to some extent, I guess maybe there might be a need for more awareness potentially, maybe more like I've just started journaling now, maybe more, keeping track of what's going on in my life, what could be triggering this. Like, like that could be one thing that I could do. But, um, and, and, and I might be wrong about this, but sometimes it just feels like it's just kind of out of my control. And I, I, it's not just one thing or one set of things that cause the pain. It's just something's just happening and it's just causing pain suddenly. And I'm not sure what the cause is. Yeah. Causation is tricky with, I, I kind of gave up on that after a while. Um, I, nowadays I'll, I'll include it a little bit more cause I can kind of trace it. I could go, I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself right now. If something starts to flare up or whatever, 
Um, but when I was kind of in the throes of consistent chronic pain, you kind of have to give up on causation. And part, the part of the problem with causation uh, is it's again, giving um, a foothold to the importance of the pain. It's like, Oh, it must be this thing. I got to fix it. And it's the fix mentality again. Like I got to fix, fix. So what's the thing? Well, let me find the thing. I got to uncover, uncover, uncover. And here's the specific thing. And from what I understand of like, yes. Sano, I'm yeah. just going to pause you for one second, by the way. I just, yeah. just had a thought about like, that's, that's the other thing that really pisses me off about this is like the uncertainty. Yeah. It's like, like almost in a weird way with this chest pain. Like I, I like I, I almost want, like this sounds so bad and I don't really mean this in, in some ways, but like, I want a doctor to be like, Hey, Rav, you have myocarditis, you have heart inflammation, take these medications, do these pro, I mean, get a surgery and you'll be good. I'll be like, okay, yep. you know what? Now I know that something's wrong with me. This process I'm in right now where it's like, yeah, I have digestive issues and chest pain and palpitations and so many different things going on. And I don't know what exactly the cause is. That really frustrates me because I'm, I'm also like, I'm big into feelings and emotions and that that's just interesting to me that this spirituality is very interesting to me and I devote a lot of time to it, but I think I'm naturally a very mathematical thinker. I was always very good at math and always finding X trying to solve for X (laughs) That's you can't really do this with chronic pain. You can't really no. solve for X. It's it's hard to find the exact cause, and that really pisses me off. Not knowing where I'm at, like I want a diagnosis. If you have this, Rav. Okay, take this medicine, you'll be better. But no, that's not how it works. I know, right? And that's that's the thing about people who probably get chronic pain are like us, and that I wanted the same thing. And it's you almost have to 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 put the foolish ambition to rest there. And let let that part of you die, and uh, just kind of accept it for what it is. And you might not actually there's there might not actually be a causal link. It might be just uh, a, an overtime thing, right? And again, it's the fixation on give me X. Where is X? I will figure out X. That's still just feeding it, right? And so it's you're uh, yeah you're you're just looping around and it's just a circular kind of event at that point mm-hmm. and so you said you went beyond causation you just i stopped yes yeah, saying i i'm not going to look for a specific cause i'm working on my mental health i am becoming a healthier person who has a who uh likes himself loves himself who's positive towards himself and others who is proud of himself who um has dealt with his past in healthy ways is aware of how his past has affected him and who is voraciously seeking the present moment all day long. I want the present moment. I want the present moment is a drug, man. I, I want to be here and I want to experience it and I don't want to be distracted. I want to be just here. And that's how I try and live my life. And I don't achieve it necessarily all the time, but I'm always just kind of going back to the present moment. And so I, I maybe there was a causal link somewhere but it got lost in this other pursuit of my own health and realizing that believing in, you have to believe in yourself. That's part of the thing here. You got to believe you can actually do this and get rid of the pain. Otherwise it probably won't. He, I, I think it's actually Schubiner in his book. He said, I, is it like 60%? He, he asked people the question. I don't remember the exact percentage, but the people who got better were people who believed they could do it. Um, if you don't actually believe you can do it, oftentimes they won't get better. And I think that relates probably to the, the idea of believing in yourself, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, um, yeah, it's hard to get on board with all this stuff, but I, but there's a deep, a very deep part of me that feels like I will hundred percent get over this hundred percent. And I actually, my friend Alice, who's on the podcast the other day for other reasons, she was, she was talking about leaving Christianity because she thought I mean, in her experience, which is very hardcore fundamentalist Christianity, she, um, felt like she was robbed of self-love in many ways. And she was yeah. detailing her story. Um, that's, that's, that's an interesting conversation we had. And, and Joe was there as well, by the way, you would have been also good to have in that conversation, but I think we weren't connected at that point. But uh, and, anyway, um, Al- Alice is a good friend of mine. I sent her a voice recording <laughs> the other day. It was a like four minute voice recording where I just said to her like, Hey Alice, you know, I'm in a lot of pain right now. Um, just kind of a message to myself, but just sending it to a safe friend. Yeah, like I'm in, a, I'm in a lot of pain right now, and life just feels horrible. And I feel like this demon is trapped in my body, and I'm just, I feel like I'm in a cage. I'm in a prison of pain constantly. But uh, I feel, I genuinely have a vision for myself in the future. Of, I, I see myself working out at the gym and bench pressing and playing soccer and basketball and jumping and running and uh, swimming. I love swimming. Um, and kicking a soccer ball, doing competitive sports. Like, like that was my big release, right. Of um, like throughout high school and middle school, it was like, yeah, I'm doing all this nerdy intellectual work and essay writing, but going to soccer practice and playing basketball, that was my, that was my only outlet to truly like immerse myself in the present moment. Cause there's, cause there's costs, right. And I, I don't know if you've played competitive sports growing up, but uh, if you're not in the present moment, there's a cost to that, right. Yep. <laughs> you, you have to you have to be aware. You have to see where the ball's at. You know you got to be very careful with what's happening. It's 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 a huge thing. So that being taken away from me just caused so much depression and anxiety. Like I said, and uh, that that was that that was kind of early on. Just one of the things that I felt that was just kind of like kind of the baby steps I was taking was just just crying about that. That because of my knee injury in grade ten, that never went away. I was never I wasn't able to live my dreams, which is play soccer and basketball. And I actually wanted to become professional, a professional soccer player. Yeah. Um, that was my big dream. And that was just totally taken away from me. And I just cried and cried and cried with my counselor. I, I just, this part of me was just taken away. My love for soccer and for sports, it was taken away from me. So just, just feeling that felt really good in some ways that those, those emotions that I never felt. Yeah, but, uh, for sure. I, I, I was a big a weightlifter. Like I, I, I like lifting yep. weights and like lifting heavy weights. And uh, once my back went, I couldn't do it anymore. I had to grieve it in a similar way. Yeah. It, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's it takes feeling. away something from you. My question is, why don't you just go do it now? If it's mind body, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's because no, cause I've done that before. I've done the, the fuck it. I'll just go into it. And I just, I injure myself really, really bad. My, my knee where I'm not able to play. Like I, I've tried that many times and that's what I did early on too. When I first got the injury, I didn't listen to the doctor and the physio. I just kept on playing. I was like, "Oh, like fuck this! I want to play," you know, which is which is weird because that's because. But if it's mind body, if it's mind body, then like, and if if it does essentially feed off of belief, if you're going in believing you're going to get hurt, you will get hurt. And so for me, when I was I started going to the gym before my back pain went away, and I just said, "I, I the f it mentality." And I had crazy spasms. I had things where I'm like, oh my goodness, I wrecked my back. My back is actually wrecked right now. It hurts so much when I'm doing this thing. There's no way on earth that I can do this. I'm hurt. And it was totally all just mind body. 
it was this it, it it's madness man but it's true <laughs> that it yeah i i would encourage you to just go try and if you feel something be like maybe this is my body maybe it's just it, this is the beast rearing its ugly head because it doesn't want me to do it for whatever reason yeah again I've, I've done that before several times over the past five years like every now and then where my where i just feel like i just go 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 be like hey guys let's go play soccer and basketball let's just fucking do it and then horrible right knee pain comes and and i'm and then and then and then i just i just keep playing and playing and the next day it's like fuck i just i ruined it and like the pain is so bad no i know and for and, and it takes weeks and weeks for that pain to go away and then and then my knees clicking and popping and doing all sorts of weird things and i'm just in so much pain constantly like so that's i i think with this chest pain that's unique because i i think if i can get over this chest pain which is there all the time unlike the knee pain, which is only there when I exercise vigorously. Um, if I can like get through this, um, th- then I might be able to have that mind, uh, that mindset where I'll be able to engage in physical activity more with, with, with a bit more safety and positivity. Um, where right now it, it just, it's not even like we, like we've been saying, it's not just conscious, right? Like I can go play right now and I'll consciously just be having fun. It just unconsciously, there's something fucked up about me. Like unconsciously, I'll start worrying, right? I'll start yep. unconscious. Like you were saying, I might not even think consciously that I'm going to hurt myself, but some something unconsciously is going to be like, yeah, this is like, like I, I, I don't know, because it's it's unconscious. But there's some unconscious process. I think if I'm right, which I, again I could be wrong, I don't know, but there's some kind of unconscious process which takes place that injures me eventually, and it's very hard to be aware of that and to reprogram it. So once I reprogram it outside of sports, hopefully I can kind of get back into it. And I still do certain things. I still have a trainer and we just do very limited body weight controlled uh, strength exercises, just strength, just strength work instead of like running treadmill, you know, any dynamics type of stuff. We just do work on that. What if you just, just went forward though. And even if you did get quote unquote hurt, just kept going. And said, and and told yourself, this is just, this is my mind. It's doing this thing. It's wanting me to respond in this way. I'm just not going to. I'm going to do the things that I love, which is, includes lifting weights or whatever, or soccer. And I'm just not going to be hindered by this. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm trying to think. I, I feel like I've done that in some ways and I just end up hurting myself. I mean, maybe I can try it again. It's been a couple of years. But the thing is like hurting yourself, like you got to, the perspective I'm coming from here is yeah. if it's mind body, then it's going to keep hurting. Your, you're going to keep quote unquote hurting yourself until you just ignore that. Even though it hurts, even though there's this um, response that happens to the specific event um, of whatever exercise, um, it's going to keep happening as long as, uh, as long as you believe that you, this happening. thing can hurt you. That this yeah. thing can hurt you. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it messes with your head, man. It's a really crazy concept because it feels yeah. like you actually yeah. do have a demon living in your body. No, I'm I'm glad you're making me like think about this right now. Like, what would it take to do that? You know, um, yeah, it's it's an interesting thought. Yeah, if I were to go back and just just start kicking around the ball, start running. I mean, because the thing is, when I've done this, when I've done the strategy in the past, which I have several times, I go. Um, at least at those points in my life, I guess I was just just busy with school and busy with other things. I'd just be like, fuck it. I'm going to go out for a run. I'm going to go run for half an hour and 
run, run, run. And then I, the pain is so fucking bad, but it doesn't, at a certain point, I just kind of grew numb to it where the pain was really bad. And then I just stopped for, for a few weeks and just got busy with other things. I just, I, like, I did ignore it, but I just went on with my life and just was like, okay, now the, the pain is so fucking bad and I'm limping. I'm, I'm limping the next day. So I just carry on with my life the way it was before I did this yeah. crazy run or started playing soccer suddenly. And then I just continued doing, just living a sedentary lifestyle, which I hate, but that's just, that's just what I do. But yeah, you, I, mean, I, I won't keep pushing it, but you just yeah, yeah, you yeah, wonder yeah. if you're, you're saying keep pushing it instead, possibly just, just move on. Yeah. Just, just yeah. don't let the pain have the say of I'm uh, no matter how much it's hurting, not going, Oh, I should stop now because of this. Cause as soon as you do that, it's just going to keep happening every time. Like I've had this experience where I'll be weightlifting and then pain will be create a crazy pain. And it's, but and it, it's so convincing. It comes across so utterly real. Like I hurt my back or something and it's just not true in the end. And the crazy thing is when I came to real a lot, most of the time when I come to realize it's not true in the moment, it just disappears immediately. It's the most bizarre mm. thing. It's like, Again, modern day exorcisms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I've, I've just gone in so many different waves. Like I remember the most amount of progress I made was in grade 11, which feels like forever ago. This is 2018. Um, when I got injured in 2016 and 2018, I just, I got a really good trainer at Murph's gym, which, which I'm at again. Um, although now I'm just less, um, I, I'm not making as much progress as I did then, but I, I got to the point where I was squatting, I can't even remember the exact weight, but I was squatting a very big amount, uh, a, a very heavy weight I was squatting. And uh forget, it might have been 100 pounds. Does, does that sound reasonable? Yeah, <laughs> sure. I, yeah, I think I might have been squatting. I, I remember triple digits, which was huge for me. And then at a certain point, the patellar tendonitis kicked in in my right knee, and it was so bad. So fucking bad, and I just and my, and my trainer kept on pushing me. Just keep you know keep, for the next couple sessions, we kept on just doing things. We started even doing plyometrics, which is just jumping on boxes, and I was doing it. And there was just so much pain, and I was and and maybe there was just that you know uh, unconsciously, which it, it's hard for me to speak about my unconscious because I don't know what's there to some extent. But maybe there's just yep. fear there. That's just like oh fuck, I'm hurting myself. I'm hurting myself. Maybe. And then I just, this is 2018. And then the pain was so bad. I just stopped and got busy with school. And then I, and then just no physical activity. Then I started again two years ago and I kept grinding and grinding and grinding. And then I started swimming every day for like an hour. And, and it perhaps I, I kind of went too hard at it first too. Like, I think that's, I get overexcited too quickly. So if I'm not feeling pain, I'm just like going full in. Whereas maybe there's room for taking incremental steps. That's another kind of thing but I just went super, super hard and was just swimming every day. And uh, then the patellar tendonitis came and it was super painful. And I just stopped again and uh, it, it just never went away. And then I, I back at it now, this is my like fifth or sixth time back at it. And the pain is now it's kind of worse than ever before, but now we're just doing very controlled strength exercises in the gym with my trainer. I, you should really try when Howard comes on this. You should yeah. talk about this stuff with him, man. Cause I feel like he would be able to really give you the clinical perspective on, cause I'm, the amount of people he talks to and like it, I, I think he'd do a better job than I would at talking about this kind of thing where you believe pain's going to happen. So it does. And you continue to believe that and it will continue to do so forever and ever. Amen. Uh, until, you can kind of break the cycle of belief in that 
belief that the thing is actually, you're actually being physically hurt in the sense of physiologically hurt. Like I'm not saying there's no pain, there's very real pain, but that there's no physiological damage. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's a crazy loop and I don't know how to describe it better, but I, this is something you should talk to Howard about. Sure. Yeah. No, no, I, I will talk about it. And I mean, the, the issue for me too, is like, I have a diagnosis. It's patellar tendonitis. That what does that mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, like that just means overuse of the tendons. That's all that means. But, yeah, it's but like, what is that? Yeah, it's like, okay, there's, there's no help there. Like a, a label is no help. I had spondylolisthesis yeah. in my spine. So, right? But, it's just a label. It doesn't mean, it doesn't help. It's just, and there's no specific um, cure. It's just, here's a label for what you have. You're, you use it too much. Okay, well, how do you know I use it too much? How do you know what too much use is? Do you have metrics for showing me why it's being used too much? Do you, can you show me swelling in the knee or something? I, like, there's like, it's just a little, you can tell my skepticism towards a lot of the modern diagnoses. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, in, in my case too, like the right knee just, just clicks whenever I extend it the way the left knee doesn't. I don't know if you had lots of like clicking, cracking, popping in your back. Yeah, I've had some. That that's also like a thing too, which, which I'm I'm not, like, it could be there was a there was something structurally going on, but the cause of it might be psychological. Like there there's, like tendonitis. The tendons are overworked, and my knee keeps on popping and clicking, not uh, unlike my left knee. But like there's there's something going on there, but it seems to be fed by something psychological. Perhaps it it could be a combination of physiological and psychological. Well, I mean, when I stand up, both my knees sound like they're being like scraped across chalkboards, but it doesn't mean that I should, that I have knee pain. Right. It's like the, the, right. the physiological thing of clicking or whatever doesn't necessitate pain. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 it might be that you've created the link like, Oh, I have a clicking knee. Therefore my knee should hurt. And therefore it does yeah. hurt, you know? So that's something to consider. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, is is there anything else you want to say, Joel, about like overcoming the like we've we've been here a while and we could probably spend another two hours talking about this. I think, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, eventually overcoming the pain. I, I don't know if that's a separate conversation to have, but I I don't know how much more you have to say about how you eventually got over it, what that was like. No, I think I kind of already covered it, and that it was just a process. Yeah. Uh, it was a process. I worked on these things. It changed the way I think about myself. I dealt with trauma in the past, present moment, all this stuff, all of the amalgamation and letting go of trying to fix myself, fix the pain and dealing just with my life and the pain just being a thing I just can look at. Like you said, like you're staring at a blue sky or, or whatever, just looking at it like it's nothing. And uh, it's just an overtime thing, uh, a change, rewiring really of your brain and becoming honestly a better version of yourself. Like my wife, she, she, she says I'm a different, she does say I'm a different person. She says that I'm happy again. I'm a happy person. I, I'm, I laugh a lot that I'm, I don't take things so seriously anymore. Uh, and that I'm obviously not in pain. And so it's like, she got her husband back that she married. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah, that, that's what I would say. And then for people who are in chronic pain or know somebody in chronic pain, direct them towards these resources we've been talking about and then yep. believe in yourself that you can actually do it and start trying to maybe implement some of the things we've been talking about, especially the self-talk, dealing with trauma, all this stuff and see a counselor or a clinician 
uh, psychotherapist if you need it. Cause it's, it's, it is some pretty tough stuff and you don't necessarily want to yeah. be alone if you can't do it. And uh, you were saying after six or seven months, the pain was significantly reduced. And then about a year after it went completely away. About a year and a half, I'd say before it started to actually like have spurts of it going away. And now I say I live on the better side of just like, I'll get little flare ups, but I live most of my life pain free. And so I'm, I'm good. Like I, I consider myself healed at this point. I'm good. Yeah. Um, at some point I imagine I will probably won't even notice if it, if like it's completely, it's just so sporadic now that it's like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And sorry, what were you saying about like six or seven months? Like after six or seven months, like, Oh, my back uh, pain, like the pain that I'd had in my, in the specific spot in my back went away after about seven months. It just one morning I woke up and it was gone. But then it came back. Well, no, it turned into other symptoms, other pain. So it, it, it switched. My symptoms switched at that point. Oh. So my back pain went away. I'd say my reduct- my pain went down by about 50% around that time. But then like it started... Like that pain going- permanently went away? Yeah, it did. Permanently after seven months, your back pain went away? Yes. Yeah, it did. I woke oh. up and it was gone. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I thought you meant after like a year and a half. Like it kind of went away, then a year and a half, it fully went So I'm talking away. about pain in general. Like after a okay. year and a half is when I started to get... It just like a periods of it just being gone and then kind of turning on and off, turning on and off. But my actual, the pain I had for seven years, it disappeared one morning. I woke up and it was gone and it it turned into other parts of my body hurting, but that specific pain disappeared. Okay. So after seven months of doing this work, your back pain was gone. And then you were saying it it came in different areas and what was it different areas all at the same time? Or was it like, like maybe like three or four months of shoulder and neck pain and then two months of this pain, like, or was it all over the place all at once? It was basically whichever spot I would believe would be really would be physiologically caused. That's the spot it would be until I realized it wasn't, and then it would change. It's very bizarre. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if I thought that, yeah, it makes sense for my right elbow to be hurting, my right elbow would hurt until I realized, wait a second, no, this is totally in my mind, and it would disappear and go somewhere else. Wait, why would you think a certain area though? Like you had done, you had tweaked it a little bit or something? Yeah, like I. I was just doing bench press at the gym or something, or um, I've been, my elbow has been in this position for a few hours too much or an odd position or something like just, you know, just thoughts you have. And yeah, that's where I'd end up getting pain. And it was just, it would just move around to wherever it was most believable. And it's, you just kind of have to come to terms with the fact that none of it is actually being physiologically caused. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm also just looking, and we're going to want to wrap this up in just a couple minutes, but I'm also just looking back, too, of other chronic pain I've been in. And, and that's, that's actually what gives me the most amount of hope and what make what convinces me and deeply persuades me that this is neuroplastic pain is thinking about the excruciating pain I've had in other parts of my body. Yeah. And, I, and like, when I had my wrist pain, actually, that, that was incredible. Like, that was, this is um, grade 10, I had my knee pain, and then grade 11, Suddenly, I can't even remember what the cause was, but I developed this horrible pain in my right wrist. Horrible. And it was so bad. I had to wear a wrist brace. And, like, I I just stopped writing, and I just was doing audio typing. I had my friend kind of help me with homework. Like, it was that bad in my right wrist. And this this went on for – this went on probably for six, seven, eight months, and then eventually went away. But it was just so bad. I remember going on vacation then that summer when school was over and we were on a cruise and like my, my dad and my brother were playing ping pong 
And they're like, hey, Rav, come play. And I was like, my wrist is in excruciating pain. I can't play ping pong with you, you know, <laughs> nor, nor can I swim or do some other fun things at this cruise we were at. And like that, that pain in the right wrist was so like I'm thinking about it now. It was so excruciating. And sometimes even it, I, I get little bits of it here and there, but I guess there's maybe less fear towards it. Um, and, and then there was the right eye pain as well, which we've talked about, which came last year, which started in May and stayed till October, November, December. It kind of went away January as I started doing some psychedelic therapy work uh, and also changing my diet. I don't know what exactly eventually healed it, but this horrible pain in my right eye, which when it would come, I would have to, I would have to close my eyes because it was burning so fucking much. I'd have to close my eyes, drop all my writing. My productivity dropped in so many ways. And I went to the eye doctor and he didn't have anything for me other than drops. And he, he, yep. he, he diagnosed me with some eye issue, like dry eyes, allergies and dust and some bacteria in my eye or something. And you know, none of it worked. This horrible, excruciating pain in my right eye. That just never went. And when it came, it would go to my head too. If I kept my eyes open for too long during the pain, I remember sitting with Joe one time. I was at Joe's place and this right eye pain came and I didn't say anything, but it was so bad that it, then it went into my head as it often did. And then my head would just flare up and get super hot. And this migraine yeah. became excruciating. Like I, I, it would force me to close my eyes and I had no idea what was going on. And so, so did, does that, is, is that more evidence that it's probably the chest Man, you, here also? The chest, the wrist, the knee, the eye, the head, the fact that you just told me the pain moved from your eye to your head. That is such typical um, neuroplastic pain, uh, like sim- a symptom of neuroplastic pain, the pain shifting, because physiologically that doesn't make sense. Like if it was your eye, your eye would be the local spot of the pain. But if the pain is shifting, there's not like there's a new issue in your brain suddenly. It's like, uh, and same thing with like knee, like I've had pain move and it's like, it doesn't make sense for all of these different spots in my body to be injured. And like you're, what you're describing to me is just, yeah, you're experiencing the multiple symptom, the, the, the variegated symptoms of, of this kind of pain syndrome, which is, it just goes to different places and it continues to do so until the, mm. the, the root is, is, is dealt with. Yeah, though at the same time too, like like you've had symptoms, you've had pains move throughout your body, but but for me, like the knee pain has been there since grade ten, it's twenty sixteen. Yeah. That's been con- that's been constant. Whenever I exercise, and the chest pain has progressively gotten worse over the past few years, and right now it's at its worst. But um, so so I I don't know what to make of that. But they do say some of the the literature says that it gets worse often for people when they start dealing with this stuff. So maybe take that, take that to heart. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it can often get worse as you're dealing with it. Yeah. I, I, I think it got worse before I started dealing with it. Actually. Okay, fair enough. It got fair so enough. bad. And yeah, there's, there's so many complications with it. And I've been looking at polyvagal theory as well. My counselor was telling me about familiar with that. No, I'm not. When you're, um, when your mind is dealing with so much stress and trauma, it pauses or suspends its regulation of key digestive and hormonal regulation processes. Um, it's dealing with so much pain that it can't fully attend to your digestion and do the normal things that's supposed to do. And so you're going to have urinary issues, digestive issues, bloating, gas, that kind of thing. And that's because that's unlike for your case too. Mine has very much also been in the stomach, in the gut, indigestion, bloating, gas, you know, just, just a lot of those 
things as well, which, which as Dr. Clark told me, who's a specialist actually initially in gastroenterology, which is just the, the, the gastric issues. Um, and then eventually he went to chronic pain, but he was saying that, um, stress and trauma are often causes of chronic digestive issues. Yep. Given that what we know about the connection between the gut and the brain, which scientists are doing new research on. So like me experiencing these horrible digestion issues at 21, like, like not a 61 year old man who's been eating like shit forever. And, 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 and for what it's worth, like we're not in my house growing up, we didn't eat bad food. We, we, my mom cooks fairly healthy food. So it's not anything that I've done wrong. It just seems to be that I was in a lot of stress and that created a lot of uh, digestive issues for me. And that, that, that sort of links up with some of the chest pain, heartburning issues after eating certain foods. And then that translated into just chronic chest pain. Yeah. And, and, one of the litmus maybe, tests that these, these guys say, one of the first litmus tests that they ask people is, do you have digestive, digestive issues? Cause it's all, it's one of the hallmarks of people with mind body, uh, the mind body syndrome. Yeah. yeah. And I'm even open. I'm even open to like, perhaps that I, I have some gastric disturbance, let's say like my stomach is really upset and maybe that creates some heartburning issue because of not digesting something properly. And perhaps maybe my body reads that or my mind reads that and it's like, Oh fuck, heartburning. Oh fuck. My stomach really hurts. Oh, what's wrong with like something unconsciously happens and that fearful interpretation of it perhaps makes it worse and perhaps traps me in this vicious cycle of pain. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Joel, it was good talking to you. This was was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. And, um, just, uh, Feel free to reach out to me uh, publicly or privately whenever, man. I'm, I'm happy to talk about this stuff with you. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's. I'm in the middle of it right now. You're on the other side. So you, it's, it's been good talking to you because now I'm, I have a bit more hope too after hearing your story so closely. It's like I I, I can get through this. And, yeah, and honestly, like like I was saying, this recording I sent to my friend Alice the other day, which she, she's, she has a reminder in her calendar to remind me six months from now and a year from now that I sent that recording. Um, and then we can kind of, it would be cool to revisit that if I get better. But like in that recording, I was saying that it's, I, like, if I get better, like my life would be radically improved. Like just, I'm just like imagining myself like every day, you know, doing the exercises I want to swimming out in the river, in the lake, bench pressing, not being overweight. Like I am now like playing competitive soccer and basketball with my friends again. Like it, it sounds like small things, but that would drastically improve my life oh man i I, I, I used to i I, I look at that and i'm like wow that would be amazing like i might even trade certain things in my life now and be like i'd rather have that right now and if i if i were to get that my my life would be totally different i strongly encourage you to just start living that life now that's how part of what i did you just start living the life i i recognize we've already talked about the pain issues i would just live it despite whatever happens and see if it eventually just becomes who you are and what you do. And, and yeah, uh, I would encourage you to do that. But I mean, this is this is a process, like we said. So I, I look forward to the pot to, to to being a guest on the the celebration podcast when Rob has figured it out and, and he's good to go. And yeah, I'll I'll I'll, I'll bring some streamers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I look forward to that one. That and I think when that happens for me too, like with given the public platform I have, I would a lot of interesting writing would come from that a lot of podcasts and doing other bigger shows and sharing my experience like that would that would be really uh, amazing when that happens um, it's gonna happen man i'm looking forward to it 
And, and one other thing too, I'm just thinking like, uh, given just your advice that you gave me, like with my trainer, I'm working with him and we're just doing strength exercises and often certain things just cause so much pain. So like we're not squatting right now because squatting is way too painful. So we're just doing this isometric um, stuff. Uh, it's, I won't go into all the terminology and the details about it, but just exercises that don't add a lot of load to the knee. But I'm thinking now based on what you said, maybe, maybe I'll just be like, yeah, let's start trying some more load bearing knee exercises instead of just the body weight, simple stuff. Cause, cause he, he also gets frustrated too. My trainer, he's like, well, what's going on here? Like we can't even, like I can't even do body weight squats without pain right now. Like what's like, what's up? But maybe, I don't know, maybe have a different mindset and just try it with him. Dude, if you can't do body weight squats though, pain, you're like, that doesn't make sense. It's just, this is in your head, man. <laughs> it, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not going to go on. Or, I, you can do it. I believe in you, man. You, you yeah. can, you can figure this thing out. And uh, I, I am rooting for you. I am your, your number one fan here to to to, get, yeah. to see to see to, to see you get through this. You know, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll do it. And I and who knows? Maybe pain might not come. But if it does, maybe I'll even call you. I'll be like, "Hey, you did squatting today, and I'm fucking in pain right now. What do I do?" And maybe you can give me a little. I'll tell you exactly what you do. You go back words. the next day if you want to go squat the next yeah. day. You go squat the next day if you want to go bench press the next day. You yeah. bench press the next day, and you know what you do? You just keep doing that, and you say, "There's no, there's nothing, there's nothing." physiologically going on here and i'm gonna live the life i want to live yeah yeah so not necessarily just jumping back into soccer right away and just running no because that that, 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 that is a lot of stress on the body but maybe like like body weight squats like as you're saying like it's crazy to think about like that that's causing so much pain so like that if i can't do that then i obviously soccer is just a non-starter if i can't squat 30 times without horrible pain i'm gonna tell you a little uh, here's a secret about me yeah. I used to have a pair of shoes that I thought really every time I wear these shoes, my feet hurt and my calves hurt. And I was convinced the shoes caused my feet and my calf pain. And every time I put the shoes on, my calves would start hurting and my feet would start hurting. And I'm sure you can see where this is going. It mm. it was just a fa- it was fabrication of my mind, man. I, it was an association. And then eventually I said, I'm wearing these shoes every single day and I'm walking in them and it's not, it's not actually a problem. And it never happened again after that. Hmm. I wonder why you had that association though. Why? I don't know, man. That's weird. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Well, yeah. Well, thank, thanks for the advice. I, I have some steps I can take now. I'm going to try squatting next week. I'll try. Yeah, you are. That, that, and, then, and even like just thinking about that, like that, it seems like such a big step feels like doing some heroic work in some ways, you know, like that's, it is, sure you you're know, the hero sure here, you know man, you're the like. hero in your journey. That's what Schubiner says. Schubiner says that there's no doctor who's your hero. You're the hero in the journey. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right, man. It was good talking to you. We, talking. Yeah, no, it was good. It was good chatting. We will we'll chat again sometime. This is good. Yeah. Have a good night. All right. You too. Cheers.